This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 94 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, and joining me, as always, is Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele. Gents, how is it going? Fine, thank you. Very well, thank you. It's been a nice, kind of quiet, relaxing week as an Aberdeen fan. There's not been anything overly batshit mental going on with the club. I mean, obviously, the country as a whole is going full-blown Lieutenant Loco, but... uh, refreshed and ready to get going for these uh, football cliche alert, the next uh, 10 cup finals that will <laughs> define our season here and probably define our season as well. In a week that saw the cinch take a back seat as the Scottish Cup, what's that, was back in full flow that saw Kilmarnock dumped out of said cup by ICT. Careful what you wish for, Killy fans, that saw the BBC take a sledgehammer to its own nuts and that saw Don's alumni, John Gallagher, score an absolute thunder bastard for Austin FC against Real Salt Lake. That is a guy that's been watching a lot of Graham Steele at fives. Absolutely. Didn't lob the keeper, though, to be fair. It was also with his left peg. Yeah, sorry. So, not really. <laughs> not a bad strike, eh? Mirrored. Reverse angle. Yeah, it was a tidy strike. Thing. Tidy strike. Do you think we can get him back? No, thank I you. think that might cause a... A meltdown on a certain uh, character limited platform. Well, not if you pay for Twitter Blue. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to pay, if you can have a bigger meltdown, then so if, you ha- if you have the peasant version. <laughs> it is, surprisingly, another fairly busy one here on the ABZFP as we preview next Saturday's return to SPFL Premiership action as Hearts visit Pataudry. We'll check in with Rob Borthwick, he of A View from the Terrace fame. For the opposition view on that one, we'll check in with our loanies and loan watch, the young team and the quines. And after the break, we'll bring you the latest in our line of exclusive interviews. And this time it's with a man who grew up in Aberdeen, grew up a diehard dandy, but it took him until his 35th year to finally pull on that famous red shirt. It is, of course, Gavin Ray. But first, next Saturday, sees the Dons return to SPFL Premiership action. After a week off following our win, our 3-1 win, sorry, at Tanadice. The visitors on Saturday, of course, the current third place side. Hearts coming fresh off their 3-0 defeat to Celtic in the Scottish Cup on Saturday. And despite a fairly busy week of action in the SPFL, the Dons do still remain in fifth on 38.7 behind the visitors on Saturday. Two behind Hibs in fourth. This one, the third meeting between the sides 
this season. One win apiece. The Dons with a 2-0 win at Petodre earlier in the season. Goals from Duke and Bejewin as Aberdeen. At that point, remember that glory days, boys, where we looked like the red-hot favourites at that point in the campaign to take third place this season? Life comes at you fast. I think possibly was that game was that game the one where Duke really submitted himself as a, a, a proper cult hero, I think, right there, and then the one-legged assist for Bejewin's goal? If he wasn't already, that definitely put in a lot of miles to yeah, achieving that cult status. Like, probably even going beyond cult status at that point. Just full-blown legend. The return fixture, of course, um, a 5-0 defeat at Tyne Castle that kicked off that one bad week that cost Jim Goodwin his job. <laughs> um, Hearts, without a win at Petodre since May 2016, a 1-0 win for the Jambos. That won a dead rubber of a game, as I remember. Abiola Dauda with the only goal of the game, a trundler that ran through the paper wrists of Don's flop lone goalkeeper Adam Cullen. Remember him? I do now. Thank you. I remember, I remember watching that game on TV, actually. Yeah, it was, a, it was a free kick, wasn't it? And then he palms it out and the boy slotted it into an empty net. Yeah. Oh, I thought it just trundled over him. I thought it just trundled through his... I, I want to say something. No, it was a free kick. I can't remember who took it, but, you know, someone smashed uh, okay. it. And it's just, well, he just palms it straight into the, uh, the path of the striker. Well, there we go. Since then, nine games between the sides of Petodre, Aberdeen winning seven of those. Two nil-nil draws, the only other results in there. I feel it's worth mentioning that Hearts did spend a year in the championship at this time, so we have to caveat the statistic with that. What is the championship? Never heard of it, mate. No idea. Not got a clue. Um, Since then, nine games, so we touched on that, since the World Cup break, the two sides' fortunes probably couldn't have been much more different. Now, we all know about our woes on that front, but Hearts, seven wins and three draws from their 13 league games after the break, which has seen them turn around the position that we were all in prior to the Qatar World Cup. Fair to say, Hearts really injury hit at this, this moment in time. Not what you would say was anywhere close to our first team that played against Celtic at the weekend in the Scottish Cup. Oh, was that a question? That, that was a question, yes. That's why it sounded like a question. Sounded like a statement. Sounded like a statement. Did it? Okay, never mind. Move on. Despite Point that... Point phrase from a much-hated board member at Falkirk Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> ah, glory days glory days well despite all that despite being clear in third there does appear to be maybe a little bit of pressure building on Robbie Nielsen if you looked at Twitter after the Scottish Cup game against Celtic at the weekend now obviously Twitter's not necessarily the barometer for the most rational and sensible individuals in a support but there certainly did appear to be some Hearts fans kind of losing a bit of patience I think just with I guess the style and the manner in which they've been beaten now by Celtic and also by Rangers in, in recent weeks at home Seems to be the um, the relationship Hearts fans have with Robbie Nielsen is, you know, tumultuous to say the very least. That's, you know, a moment's notice they can they can turn on him, and it does seem like it's the theme with them that their frustration is that you know they can be third place and be quite safe, but when it comes to those big games, like you say with Rangers with Celtic, whether that's in the league, whether that's in the cup, he just doesn't seem to have it in him to you know, get them get them over the line. It feels a little bit uh, parallel with ourselves and uh, Derek McInnes, I guess. Well, that's what I was going to say. They, they always seem to be moaning about the style, which, you know, fair enough, but nobody else has ever got close to the other two either. So I suppose it's, it's obviously easy now when you're looking back with hindsight, unfortunately for us, because we'd have been saying the same thing like you, you mentioned, Gavin, when we were you know, sort of always there or thereabouts for third. But really when it came to it and you maybe had the chance to put pressure on one of them, almost always failed and that's kind of where hearts find themselves and I don't know what it is I think it's 
just the reality of the the gap in the resources, isn't it? It's, you know, one-offs, you'll get something off them. But realistically, when it comes down to it, it's not so much that Hearts can't do it. Hardly anyone ever does it. Well, I saw that John Hartson was bemoaning the quality of the league after this, the, the Scottish Cup tie the weekend because of the fact that Hearts were blown away quite easily by Celtic and, you know, they were meant to be the third best team in the country. But it's like, well, John, just as a, a, a brief reminder, um, the other 10 teams in the league outside of the, the two Glasgow sides, their combined turnovers don't even come close to one of Celtics, for example. So is it any wonder we are where we are? Everyone likes to, you know, pundits forever like to bemoan the uh, competitiveness of the league, but no one wants to actually do something about it, which would be, you'd have to do something drastic like redistribution of wealth, wage caps, so it's you know more competitive. And you'd have to cap it at the the means of the I was going to say the smallest team. That's not really fair. The poorest team. You know you'd have to do something drastic if you really wanted a competitive league. But no one wants a competitive league because then that means the ones at the top won't be at the top necessarily. So everyone likes to moan about it, but no one wants to do anything about it. So I, I don't really have any time for what John Hartson thinks. To be perfectly honest, a man who benefited from playing in one of the top two and winning everything. Indeed, indeed. Um, back to Hartson. So at, at Tynecastle, they've been impressive this season it's fair to say 10 wins from 14 just three defeats and one draw which means they've got the third best home record in the league they've got one win uh more than than ourselves on the road though a very different story for hearts they've got the sixth best record in the league at the moment three wins out of 14 and the same number of away wins this season as Aberdeen have and we all know how much we've been bemoaning our away form this season Five draws, six defeats for Hearts on the road. Since the return from the World Cup, that's been borne out even further. Only one win away from Tynecastle since that return. That came at St. Johnston on the 28th of December. Their last four away days have seen defeats at Celtic and Motherwell, plus draws at Livingston and St. Mirren. So there's definitely some parallels there, isn't there, between ourselves and Hearts from that perspective? There is, and you you just look at their most recent form as well. It's their a model of inconsistency you know it's uh it's lose win lose win lose and i think what you say about twitter you you go on their uh their page and look at the final result uh tweet and see the replies that fans are definitely there's an element of like nervousness that you wouldn't necessarily expect from them about their situation uh how they're playing the injury list uh whether nielsen's got enough to get them over the line here it really is that thing that on as you say on the way i'm i'm shocked that they've only won three games i wouldn't have expected a team in third place to have that kind of record it just doesn't seem feasible i guess what they have had been able to do is get draws you look at our um league table two draws all season that's been the killer for it it's the 14 defeats and not picking up enough points here and there to just you know close that gap but if we can you know take the game to them in the way that we did um earlier in the season when we were coming off the back of some really bad defeats to United and Hibs, we know we can do it. And we put some pressure on them and we kind of challenged Hearts for the first time in those past two years in that third place. It'll be interesting to see what they have in them. Yeah, I was a bit surprised when you read out their form away from home, Billy Gavin, you wouldn't really think you could be sitting in third yeah. with effectively just your home form almost on its own. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, we Okay, it didn't go very well for us down there, but then prior to Robson and even a little bit with Robson, we don't travel very well, so can't really do too much. And you know, on the flip side, when they come up here, they lost. So to be fair, Graham, it went better there than it did at Easter Road. That is very true. Let's find true. the positives in these uh, long these may details. those improvements continue. 
So, yeah, we're a, you know, a home record is decent. Their away record, not so much. Certainly based on the last few games, we seem to be a little bit tougher and a little bit more resilient at the back because you would expect to come under pressure from Hearts. I mean, I think it's fair to say they missed some absolute sitters in that game at Pataudry, which, you know, you've got to put them away. But I would hope we would restrict them to fewer chances this time out, which obviously yeah. gives us, you know, better platform to build from maybe the likelihood is you may you might just need one to nick it because you've got a hopefully more of a chance of of keeping them out at the other end. So I think it'll be I think it'll be a tough game and I think it'll be quite a close game. Hearts third top scorers in the league a 49 and total. They're certainly proving to be quite clinical in open play. They've got 33 goals against an expected goals of just 28. The remaining 16 goals for them this season uh, in the league coming from seven from set plays nine penalty kicks some pretty significant injury concerns for hearts coming into this one you saw it in the in the game they had against celtic in the scottish cup of the weekend top scorer Lawrence shankland has missed both of the last two games against celtic um i think he is back in training though so there's every possibility he does play uh against aberdeen on saturday but when you look at the way that their goals um are spread out amongst their team as well i mean shankland's got 17 of them this season Next up after that is Josh Shinelli on eight. And, and after that, you drop down Alan Forrest, who's got four. But Forrest hasn't scored since the 28th of December. He's not much of a regular starter now after starting off his, his life at Hearts pretty impressively, I thought. Is there an argument here, potentially, that Hearts are possibly just that little bit too reliant on Lawrence Shankland? And if he isn't playing next Saturday, I know his record against Aberdeen is not great, um, in fairness, since he left um, Aberdeen. I'll put the curse on us right now with that there. Um if he's not playing next week, then you've got to think that that certainly opens a door for Aberdeen to try and capitalise and take the three points. It sounds very familiar to Aberdeen under uh, Stephen Glass and Jim Goodwin last year with Christian Ramirez, where if you know one player doesn't score, then you're looking around and you know we were fortunate that we had a team that won penalties. We had Lewis Ferguson there to to save us on a number of occasions. I don't have Hearts really have that, and you're right. I mean, even Forrest you mentioned there, he didn't even start against Celtic with all the injury worries that they have. Um, so up front, it looks, you know, very, I assume they played with like a false nine or Ginelli up front against Celtic. Ginelli's played up front both the last twice, yeah. And, you know, he's not, you know, he's not a Shanklin. He's not a Boyce. He's not even um, the lad Humphreys. And you just look through their injury list. I mean, take any of those players out of a, a team in Scotland, it's going to have a, a huge impact. It does feel like, you know, the opportunity is there for Aberdeen to really put this team under pressure and, you know, see what they're made of. I was going to, I mean, relying on Shankland, that's possibly fair. He's done a better job for them than I thought he would, to be perfectly honest. Um, so, yeah, if, if he's not available, what would help us? And if he is, well, his record may not be great, but I'm a bit more optimistic around just the general state of our defence these days that we might be able to handle him yeah. better and restrict him. Because, yeah, obviously, he's good at what he does, but... I guess to a degree, like most players in Scotland, he's a little limited. He's not, he's not going to burst away from you this pace and he's not necessarily a batting ram, but he is often right place at the right time. But I feel like um, the guys we've brought in, you know, they just, just seem to be reading the game a little bit better. I mean, there's still, you know, Tanadice, there's still times the ball comes into the box and it's a bit of a surprise that the opposition's there, but that didn't seem to be as often as it maybe was prior to that. So... If he, if he starts, fair enough, but I reckon we're better equipped to deal with him. I think what I maybe hadn't realised is that, and it wasn't maybe until we talked with Joel Sked, is how much Shanklin has improved as an all-round player, mm. especially since he left Aberdeen. I remember watching him, Graham and I were there for when the, the young team won the, the league 
the young yeah, team yeah. league, whatever the term was at the time. The youth league. And, you know, <clears throat> I can't remember if it was under 18s or what, it was the youth league. Um, and Shanklin was, you know, scoring goals for fun that season. And it was a yeah. big part of Aberdeen scoring, sorry, winning that league. But what you saw was that if he didn't score, didn't really do a whole lot else. I think since then, he's, you know, obviously an experience that he's developed uh, into a, a proper all round number nine but it's still very much dependent on the service that he gets yeah. and you look at the team that hearts were able to field against celtic it's a very workman-like team there's not a lot of flair or creativity in there you'd probably look at Barry mckay who had a good season last year but i'm seeing comments on hearts twitter saying terminate his contract now so it seems like the, uh, not all is rosy for, for yeah, Barry anymore yeah big time yeah yeah and like you know snodgrass is a good player creatively but you know he's injured as well so, you know, he's, I don't think Shanklin's going to create stuff out of nothing. And if it comes down to a physical battle, then I would back, you know, a Matty Pollock or an Angus McDonald or even a Liam Scales to, to deal with him. And interestingly, um, in his last five games for Hearts, he's only scored one goal um, in those five games. So perhaps form's maybe drying up a little bit as well there for, for Lawrence Shanklin. Maybe teams are starting to figure out as well the best way to, to play against him. Looking at Hearts defensively, they're doing all right. Uh, 40 goals conceded across 28 league games. Which is the third best record in the league, but that does seem quite high, I still think, as well. 40 and 28. Um, nine of those also come from set pieces, which is the kind of midway point in the league, which also feels a little bit unhearts. Is that just me? Well, uh, yeah, because I mean, I watched the highlights of the Celtic game and the two for the first two goals, I think there's problems from a hearts perspective in there. But you know what? Celtic's pace movement, it happens. We've seen it however many hundreds of times already under Postacoglu in 18 months. But the third goal, the set piece that from Carter Vickers, that's not that's not the Hearts team I associate. Like, that's not why I think of when I think of Hearts just like easily conceding uh, set pieces like that. And I think also it probably comes down from having, uh, you know, not having Craig Gordon in there commanding the box in the way that he does. Yeah, of course, Gordon's another one out with a long-term injury. Um, the way things are going, he might be back playing before Aberdeen appoint a new manager. Um in terms of style of play, Hearts with the third highest number of 10-plus passing sequences in the league. There's 207 of those so far across the season. The fourth highest sequence time, averaging 7.74 seconds per sequence. And they've got the highest, third highest, sorry, passes per sequence average of 3.05. Interestingly, and again, it feels very un-Hearts-esque. They're the slowest side at moving the ball up the park in the league. They average um, moving the ball just one33 meters per second so there's a lot of trying to pass the ball around here which is not something i associate with hearts <laughs> in in any way shape nor form no disrespect intended of course no every disrespect intended <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just again they don't really have the the battering ram up front that they've usually had which <laughs> i guess is why they're uh why they're playing that way in terms of territory and everything their, their zones of control is quite interesting again we'll tweet this graphic out when it comes out um this graphic, if you're looking at right now, is hearts attacking from left to right. The blue boxes mean um, hearts are dominating more than 55% of the uh, possession in those areas. The red is the opposition, and then the grey areas are the ones that are up for challenge. You can see there, they're really dominating that central defensive midfield area pretty well, but absolutely focusing in on that left flank, which is where you usually see the likes of Kingsley and Cochrane who are very, very important to the system. Um, I can see Gav just smiling. I, and... I love the idea that three of the corner flags are going to be key battlegrounds in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, with Hearts really, really, really focusing down that left side, 
you expect that all things being equal, Ross McCoury will probably retain his position at right back um, for this one. So you'd have to expect that he's going to be in for a, a busy afternoon and he's going to need some support down that flank, isn't he? Which is perhaps something that Ryan Duncan and Duke are not most renowned for. I think that's fair to say. I mean, Duke, Duke sometimes is a little lazy, but then you can forgive that because he's contributing going forward. I thought Duncan was, was lazy or just not tactically aware, but at Tannadice a lot of the time, McCrory was maybe getting drawn almost into the central defensive position. Mm-hmm. The guy Bitch was all on his own because Duncan was unaware or had no desire to go back. Now, I'm assuming he, he hadn't been told to just remain up up the pitch. So that would be a concern if they're overloading that side and it's just McCrory, he's going to need, uh, I don't really care for Mike Kennedy, but Kennedy will put in a shift and will provide him support. He's going to need someone yeah, yeah. maybe more defensively minded or someone who will just put in a shift and we might have to sort of sacrifice our attacking threat on that side. Otherwise, I think, well, be a long, a long day for him. This will be where it's interesting for me what formation we line up in because I think if we, as I suspect, we go with three at the back. Yeah, I think there's a way to ask about this, yeah. Then you get, you know, Matty Pollock who's probably going to be the right-sided centre-back, uh, assuming that Matty Pollock is is fine. I know he went off early, I get tired of this, but I've not heard any seen indication to say that he's not going to be available. It looked like some sort of muscular strain. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like he pulled something, maybe a thigh muscle or something is what it probably looked like at the time. Hopefully we are just talking like a strain and, you know, yeah. it's cautionary and... Because yeah. uh, he, he's, you know, he's got... He's not quick, but he's like, he's he's mobile enough. So I think he could provide coverage. And then, you know, you've got to maybe look at a sort of like, maybe like a Ramadani when Hearts are trying to create those overloads, you know, can be there in to support um, McCrory as well. I think this is... um. It's a weird one to mention that because I don't really remember them overloading the left side at Pataudry as such. It was more the right side. But maybe that was just on the day they decided to target one of our players rather than the other. Um, but I think there's, you know, we know McCrory, Ramadani, you know, Matty Pollock, if they're there, that's, that's, there's presence, there's effort, there's endeavour. There's, you know, there's a way to cancel out that threat from Hearts. I think just going back to the Hearts, the, the game earlier in the season, I think part of that could have been down to just how injury hit they were that day because from memory, they ended up playing something that looked like a back three, which had Kingsley, Sibic and Cochrane as the back three, I think. Yeah. I um, just... Halliday was up the left-hand side as well. So it wasn't, I don't think, the sort of team that hit Hearts would ideally want to put out. Yeah, I remember just thinking, the reason it stands out is because they were one of the few teams that didn't target the right side where Jaden yeah. Richardson was. And I remember yeah. that standing out to me. They, they were getting the ball to the right channel for Humphreys to chase. That was their game plan. Yeah, yeah. We'll quickly come back on to I guess, then, in a minute. But let's just wrap up on Hearts in terms of the, the, the data. I mean, a PPDA of 12.9, they're the fifth in the table for pressing. They're sandwiched between Muddle and Kilmarnock for this. So they're not overly kind of like pressing teams, but they're not just sitting off either. They've certainly been one of the more clinical sides in the league when it comes to converting high turnovers. So that's when you win the ball back within 40 yards of the opponent's goal. Three of those turnovers this season have led to goals. That's the fourth highest in the league. So, again, on the assumption right now that Barry Robson is still in charge for the game against Hearts next Saturday, and we'll maybe come on to that in a little bit more detail in a minute or two, how do you see us approaching this one? Gav, you've highlighted, you think we maybe go back to the back three? Um, Graham, your thoughts? Do you think we do see a, a switch back to the a back three? Something that you and I... Just two weeks ago, we're saying we'd never want to see again. 
I don't know, is to be honest. Like part of me, you know, we finally got a bit of a monkey off our back at time of this, getting that away victory. Defence, well, I was going to say it looked solid, but Fletcher could have probably had a hat trick. Um, I don't know. Like part of me thinks, well, you know, that, that worked as in we got the result. And, you know, so why would you change it? I mean, we but, did look better when we switched to the back three, to be fair, against United. Yeah. I think I just if you're going to do that though, I guess do you do you lose it elsewhere? Because I feel like if they really are going to put, you know work that left hand side, you're almost sacrificing a wider player just to kind of. Whereas yeah. if you yeah, I don't know. I, I think surprisingly, given that Hearts, when you say they don't get the ball up the pitch as quickly, and they don't have that physical threat maybe to the same extent seasons past, and that's generally the Hearts that I always sort of assume and expect so maybe you do need you know you maybe want to would pack your defense a little bit more because you know you'll be they'll just be shelling it in all day if they're not doing that actually then maybe you can go to the the three and have a bit more flexibility and maybe carry a bit more of a a threat you know maybe let's just worry about uh or let's make them worry about what we yeah. can do which i think is fair because it's a huge game for both teams this one now, isn't it? I mean, I think a few weeks ago, and, and I touched on this a little bit more in a minute or two with, with uh, Rob Borthwick, but if I think back now to this, when we got beat for six at, at Easter Road, if you'd have told me that at this point here in the run-up to this Hearts game, that we'd be in a position where you would actually sit and say, this is a massive game for both teams, because if we can win this game, then suddenly the kind of fight for third place feels like it's back on again. Okay, we'd only be, we'd still be four points behind. But it would feel like a real momentum shift potentially. Whereas I think realistically, if we don't win this match on on Saturday, I think it's extremely unlikely we end up with third spot this season. Yeah, I would agree with that. If we, you know, it's just if you could get the three points, obviously it's good for Robson, who may or may not be in the running. But even if he's not, you know, just again go back to what I said last week. Just buys another buys us another week without any turmoil and I know people are getting a bit frustrated that nothing's happened with managerial appointment but if we picked up three points it's another week while everyone's on a high it would put us right back in the hunt I still think it'd be really difficult but then you look at it you know you still have to play them one more time in the split so you can control three points out with the four difference if you like because if you get something off them there and then if you could beat them you know you'd kind of probably look at the form and say well both teams are probably much of a muchness so it might come down to one of those games. I, th- I think it would really make it really difficult. But more importantly, just the boost it would give us as as the club, showing that whether it's Robson or not, even just the players are A, good enough, and B, willing to put in a, a shift. And that gives us a bit of confidence going into, you know, towards the end of the season. I suppose the slight caveat to that is there's quite a lot of lone players in there. So whilst they might be playing well, we might be thinking, yeah, these guys are putting in a shift and we're happy. Uh, you may or may not see any of them again next season. So I think I'd feel a little bit happier if, you know, if we had a few of these guys under contract saying, right, okay, I'm now optimistic about next season because these guys are good enough and, they, and they're showing an appetite to play for the club. But you don't know what you're going to get in the summer. So I think it'd be really, really difficult. But if he, if he could win it, really, really good all round. And it really would put us right in the hunt. And also, you know, I, I can't think of the how the table has looked for all of the season, but don't really know if Hearts have been in a great deal of pressure or looking over their shoulder for much of the, the season. But now if we're getting at the business end and we were on a bit of a roll, you know, Hibs are still pretty close to them as well. 
be interesting, like Gavin said earlier, see how do they handle it, especially there's a bit of unrest in the fan base. You know, you get a couple of home games, so it doesn't go their way. Things can change. That's the key part for me, is that if we can get this result, you sense that, yeah, Hearts fans are getting, you know, once again, disenfranchised with the Robbie Nielsen and how he's uh, managing the team. I, this is this could easily come back to bite me, but if if I look yeah. at the two teams right now that are probably going to take to the field on uh, on Saturday, I'd probably in a in a, like a shared a joint eleven. I, I think I take more Aberdeen players out of it than I do Hearts players. Like I say, that could easily come back to bite me. But I think right. we've got Alan Preston. I think we've got a good team. Oh uh, well. I didn't say Duke would be in there. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's let's just let's just make a contest out of it. And that's that's you know that's that's as much as we can do right now, and we'll see what yeah. happens. The good thing that we have then is that you know I think we've got a pretty favourable run in to the split. Our run in's okay, I think. Yeah, I think there's two winnable away games in there. Yep. Um, and then Kilmarnock at home, and Kilmarnock are absolute dog shit. So Kilmarnock are terrible, and we showed against Rangers that we can. Bottle a lead with four yeah, minutes to go. We I was going to say, where are you going with this, guy? <laughs> we can we can get into a leading position and then decide yeah, we've done that twice to this you know, season. yeah, yeah. Decide to do uh, Aberdeen things, but Tony Stewart's not here anymore, so that won't happen. Well, that is um, yeah. So yeah, a momentum is key there. There's a good feeling around Aberdeen. I sense like amongst our support, generally speaking, with Robson uh, at the helm. Like I said, let's just see what happens. But first things first, we just have to get the win uh, at Pataudry. Well, in all seriousness, if you could get the win, if you're a Hearts fan, you would be a little bit worried and or raging in the same way we'd be, we would be. Because you look at the state of our season, yeah, and to an extent, the state of Hibs is, with some of the patches they've been in, to then be four points potentially only ahead of Aberdeen and whatever that would be. But Hibs would only be a couple of points, yeah. I guess, depending on how things go. But I think you would be getting pretty worried and you would be pretty annoyed that you're supposedly having a good season because you're sitting in third two teams theoretically are you know supposedly having a terrible season are actually right in there and with a bit of momentum before you know it you're a Hearts fan and you're begging for Graham Steele's dream of Robbie Nielsen taking the Aberdeen job to come true <laughs> <laughs> I have been misquoted <laughs> I don't think so I never um, said he was a candidate I just said if you want a better manager, you would go for the guy who's currently third. This was a couple of weeks ago before we went on our charge. Sounds to me like Graham Steele wants Robbie Nielsen. He gets results. Let's see what happens on Saturday. So that take that I think will do from us just now. We're going to we're... clip that. Yeah, definitely. that whole thing. I never Robbie said he gets good results. Gets so results. if if they he get scudded, I'm still right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what do we really know about Hearts? Um, not quite much. a lot, actually. Well, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, but we're not too bad on the hearts. Anyway, never mind. Um, I sat down with Views from the Terrace and Hearts TV stalwart Rob Borthwick to get his thoughts on the upcoming game. Rob Borthwick, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going, mate? Yeah, good, man. Good. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Um, as always, always good for us. We like to get a chance to speak with opposition fans, etc. Ahead of ahead of big games, and uh, we're here to talk about Aberdeen versus Hearts next Saturday. The cinch kicks back into life again. It's quite a big game, all of a sudden, now, isn't it? A few weeks ago, it, it didn't look like this was going to be much of a game. Certainly from Aberdeen's perspective, anyway. But um, Hearts obviously now selling out their allocation as well. Pataudry. It's got all the makings of being hopefully a decent watch and and a big afternoon in the Premiership. Yeah, I mean, it should be. Um, it's, it's one of those things, like, we didn't really have 
this last season. There wasn't as much jeopardy last season because Hearts, Hearts kind of pulled away from the rest um, quite quite easily, actually. Obviously, Aberdeen and Hibs had their issues. Um, you know, Livingston occasionally kicked into life and, and gave us a bit of a scare, but there wasn't really much in terms of a, a big rivalry, if you know what I mean. It never really felt like it never really felt like there was a, a sort of closeness between the teams. But this season, Hearts haven't been as good, obviously, playing a lot of European games, a lot of injuries. Aberdeen have obviously had their issues, um, <laughs> but obviously empty and good win uh, and, and, you know, becoming a, a competent football team again um, means that should be an interesting one. I think the, the way it tends to go is games between the two at Tynecastle, Hearts win, games between the two at Pataudry, Aberdeen win. And it's kind of, feel, feel like it's been like that for a wee while now. So, I mean, hopefully that changes uh, at, at the weekend. But yeah, it should be should be a good one. I was just going to say, I mean, Hearts haven't won at Pataudry since May 2016. Um, a one no win for the Jambos that afternoon. It was a real dead rubber of a game, that one. I think um, Abula Dauda was the only goal of the game. A trundler that ran over the wrists of the, the, the paper wrists of Adam Collin in goals for us on loan that season. Um, since then, nine games at Pataudry. Aberdeen won seven, and then there's two 0 draws in there as well. Um, obviously, last time out at Pataudry, 2 0 win for Aberdeen. Goals from Duke and Bajouin. When it looked like Aberdeen at that point were potentially favourites. Potentially even runaway favourites at that point to be third, uh, the third best team in the country this season. Because as you said, Hearts were really struggling with uh, injuries in that point, still in the midst of Europe. Let's not talk too much about what happened when the teams met at Tynecastle last time. Um, <laughs> a 5-0 win for the home team, which I remember watching. I think you were on Hearts TV that night as well, Robin. Even you said at half time, I, like, I don't even think Hearts have played that well. And I was like, they're completely in agreement. I was like, Hearts didn't play that well, but we're what, 4-0 up at half time? Yeah, no, it was a really, really odd one, to be honest with you. It just seemed like, you know, all Harps had to do was attack and they would end up scoring. It was, it was honestly, I've, I've rarely seen anything like that um, at Tynecastle, especially against a team like Aberdeen. Like, you know, you, you maybe see that in like the, the League Cup group stages and stuff. Yeah. It's like against a team like Aberdeen, obviously, it was it was a midweek game, wasn't it? So it was sort yeah. of under lights and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, we didn't really feel like we ever left second gear. Um, it was just Aberdeen defensively were were just shambolic, and as soon as the first goal went and the heads went down, you saw absolutely no sign of fight from the Dons as well. It was, I mean, obviously from a Hearts perspective, really enjoyable, but it kind of felt like uh, kind of felt like kicking a man when he was already down every time we scored. I was like, this this is honestly, it was it was something else. And then obviously off the back of that, the Darvel game, the Hibs game, I was like, Jesus Christ! I mean, this is uh, this is real dire stuff for for Aberdeen. But from a Hearts point of view. Played really well, uh, scored some decent goals from from our viewpoint, um, but I, I don't think you can look into that and see and and you know give it too much attention ahead of this game on Saturday because circumstances are completely different. Defensively, we were so bad that night. I think as well the fifth goal in particular, the one that Cammy Devlin scores. I don't think I've ever watched. Although Aberdeen do have a tendency this season to do this, just back off and back off and back off and let somebody just like waltz through the centre of the park and get a shot away. It was unbelievable. That, of course, that 5-0 win for Hearts was the start of that one bad week that cost Jim Goodwin his job. Um, from the outside looking in, actually, I guess, it's, it's always interesting for me to get uh, an opposition fan's perspective on this as well. Were you amazed that Goodwin lasted to the Hibs game after the Darville result? Was it just us in Aberdeen that were kind of like, us would have been amused by that? No, I mean, that was that was astounding. It kind of felt like, um, obviously, as fans, we always try and read into the reasons and, and all that kind of stuff. It felt like they were stalling because they might have had another manager in mind or whatever, but that wasn't even the case. You know, it was just, you know, Dave Cormack, to, <clears throat> to be fair, obviously showed a, bit, a wee bit of loyalty, which is a nice thing in football. You know, you, you don't mind seeing that, but no, after the Darvel game, um, you know, it, it just, it didn't make any sense. I think from, 
you know, Hearts can draw quite recent experience from that with the, the Broda result. Uh, mm-hmm. And then going on to lose 3-2 at Holt McQueen of the South in the Championship just a few days later. Um, and obviously, Hearts held on to Robbie Nielsen. Hearts finished third. Hearts got to a Scottish Cup final the year after. You know, uh, there was precedent set for giving a guy a bit more time. But when uh, when Will Fish is scoring against you a few days after that and, uh, and Hibs are beating you 6-0, then, you know, the, the writing was on the wall. And it just felt like, it felt like that slide was... You know, almost similar to Jack Cross at Dundee United. You know, yeah. it just it felt like it was irreversible at that stage. And and yeah, it was. I, I was amazed that he was still in charge, still in the dugout um, at the Hibs game. And then obviously those iconic images of him walking over the pitch and escaping through a side door at Easter Road after Dave Cormack sacked him in the tunnel. I'm just glad that Dundee United are here this season because otherwise we would have well and truly taken on the kind of banter's mantle once again i think um <laughs> it's been a hell of a season once again let's uh, let's look just forward i guess now or say look forward by looking backwards hearts coming into this one in third five points clear of hebs seven clear of aberdeen after what's been a really good run of form in the league after the world cup break in particular 13 league games in that run seven wins three draws and three defeats in that run of course last time out we just spoke about before we started recording was the 3-0 defeat at home to celtic in the scottish cup um at the weekend before we just come at the game briefly, is there a wee bit of pressure starting starting to mount on Robbie Nielsen? Do you think? Just because I saw a few things on social media yesterday, which is never the best barometer of anything in life. But there was a lot of crit- a lot of criticism coming his way. I think about the setup against Celtic. I think that fell off the back of probably the more recent home game against um, Rangers as well. Um, there's always going to be pressure on Robbie Nielsen. There's a, a factor of of heart support that will just never get behind him. Um, and it's really weird because like. Hearts haven't had back-to-back third place since 2004, um, which is an astounding stat in itself, to be honest. And it's Robbie Nielsen, since he's been Hearts manager, obviously he's he's won the championship twice um, by a a comfortable, comfortable distance, but also he's never dropped beneath third in the position, uh, sorry, third in the table in the championship. So the fact that Hearts fans think that we can get any better um, doesn't really wash. It doesn't make any sense because he is... He kind of has us where we should be right now. And losing to Celtic, I mean, like, like you said, we're talking before we came on air, this is an almost impossible Celtic team to beat if they play well. Uh, and, and they did well enough on uh, on, on Saturday to, to beat us. So I don't think there's pressure. Um, I think generally there's more pressure this season because Hibs and Aberdeen are, are showing the form that you'd expect from them. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting better. Uh, they're, they're pushing us closer. So there's, there's pressure in that uh, respect. But... There's no pressure on his job. Like he's he's doing yeah. a he's doing a really fine job at Hearts, and the recruitment has really helped that as well. But you know, I think we need to remember that Hearts still have massive injury problems. Um, you know, playing on Saturday without Snodgrass, without Shankland, Halkett's out for the season, Gordon, Beningame, Boyce. Um, you know, that, that's the spine of a team uh, that, that's missing. So, yeah, I don't think there's there's no pressure for me. But some Hearts fans will just never get behind Nielsen, and it's uh, it's, it's it's bizarre to say the least. Yeah, this season's been. An interesting one as well. Your hearts are kind of similar to Aberdeen from this perspective, just maybe not to the quite same extremes. But at home, hearts have been brilliant. 10 wins from 14, just three defeats, one draw, third best home record in the league. Um, one win better off than Aberdeen are from that perspective. But on the road, it's been a bit of a different story as well. Sixth best record in the league, three wins from 14. Since the return from the World Cup break as well, that's kind of been borne out. There's only one win on the road since the return. That was um, at St. Johnston just, um, just after Christmas. Last four away days for Hearts have been uh, defeated Celtic, that one at Motherwell, and then draws at Livingston and St. Minnan. Is there any particular reason you think for that? Like, the, the Hearts are struggling just that wee bit more on the road compared to how they're doing at home? 
Hearts, <laughs> in my lifetime, Hearts have been rubbish away from home. Like, honestly, for, for like, I'm 32 years old. I can't remember Hearts having a good campaign away from home since maybe, it was maybe 2010-11 under Jim Jeffries. Uh, you know, we, we had a decent away record, but we've just, we never travel that well and mm. you can't really put your finger on it, to be honest. There's no there's no rhyme or reason behind it. It's just, obviously, with, with Tynecastle always, to be fair, being a very strong place for, for Hearts to play, obviously, that's a big reason why we get how high up we are in the, in the league mm-hmm. you know, as, as often as we do, but Away from home, it, it, I don't know, it just it always feels a little bit flat. I feel like, um, you know, Hearts, you know, rightly have put themselves in a position where they are the, the target for the likes of Aberdeen and Hibs and, and all that. So teams will raise their game uh, accordingly to, to sort of try and combat that. And I feel like Hearts sometimes just don't match the levels um, of the, the home team, which is incredibly frustrating, especially with me doing Hearts TV, travelling. <laughs> Traveling all over the country and, uh, and and very rarely seeing anything anything positive. Um, apart from that St Johnston game, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, the Hearts TV commentary position is in amongst the St Johnston fans, uh, okay. and we, we hadn't won there since 2010. So uh, I let off a big yas at uh, full time when that one ended and, and got a few dirty looks. So I, I enjoyed that one, but uh, yeah, no, the away form is it's a concern, but. It's not enough of a concern that I'm thinking, right? We're going to slip down the league table yeah. now because we're away form, but it's something that. If we got that any better, then you know maybe Nielsen and Savage are right in what they're saying, and we can get closer to the old firm. But uh, it's, it doesn't really look like that's going to happen this season. Anyway. In fairness, though, the, the league as a whole is kind of a bit like that this season. Everyone's everyone barring kind of Motherwell and uh, I think St Johnston have got better home records than away, obviously. But there's quite a big split. You know, it is quite obvious. There's not very many teams who are really, really performing well on the road um, outside of Rangers and Celtic. It's quite interesting from that perspective um, this season. Hearts, third top scorers in the league, um, 49 total, proving pretty clinical as well from open play. I think there's 33 goals scored against an expected goals at 28. But as we just touched on there, some pretty significant injury concerns still coming at the game next Saturday, which mirrors what happened actually, I guess, back in... I think it was October, wasn't it? Um, the first game for Tawdry. Uh, your top scorer, Lawrence Shanklin's missed the last two games against Celtic. Is there any expectations that he'll be he'll be back for this weekend? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping so. Um, he has been doing light training uh, this week, so I think it, it's you know the, the Celtic games are obviously too much for him, but it's not as if he's just been in the gym or just been on the treatment table. You know, he's been doing some running, so hopefully he will be back for for Aberdeen because he's just. He's so massive for the way that we play. Mm. Like, the, the way that he plays back to goal, brings other players in. He makes Josh Janelli a better player. Um, you know, he makes the midfielders better. He's been a he's been a phenomenal signing for us. He's he's really been brilliant. So hopefully, he's back. And obviously, Snodgrass. Um, teams have figured him out a wee bit. Uh, they, they sort of worked out that a lot of our play goes through him as the sort of number six uh, playing in the the base in the midfield. So yeah, he's a he's a big mess as well. But hopefully, Shanklin will be back. That would be uh, that would be massive. I guess it's always going to be the case when you've got someone like Shank who's scoring as many goals as he has this season. I mean, it's 17 in the league for him. Next up after that's Josh Nell on eight. And after that, you dropped Alan Forrest on four. If Forrest hasn't scored since that St. Johnson game away um, on the 28th of December, isn't much of a regular starter these days at the moment after kind of starting off the season really well, I thought Forrest at Hearts. Is there an argument there? And it's it's, it's always going to be one that Hearts are just that little bit too reliant on Shank, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that... We are to an extent, but again, that's not a bad thing if he is fit. <laughs> um, but obviously, he's not been fit the last couple of games. And I think that obviously, Liam Boyce injured himself back in August, uh, being out for the season, that that put a lot more pressure on to Shanklin to be yeah. the 
the guy that drops deeper almost plays like a number 10 uh, and, and likes play more than, than anything else. And then Stephen Humphreys, uh, obviously the other striker, he's he's injured. Um, I'm not sure he'll be fit for, for Aberdeen either. So it's kind of through necessity rather than design that Shanklin has been so heavily relied upon because the other strikers we've had have, have just been, they've been injured. Uh, they've, they've had spells out of the, the team and obviously that doesn't help when it comes to match fitness. It doesn't help when it comes to getting a run of games. And, you know, it, it means that, you know, playing the system that we do, essentially Josh Janelli is now the number nine and Shankland and, and Barry Mackay usually are the, the two number tens. So, yeah, it's there's a lot on his shoulders. And I think that the drop-off in Barry Mackay's performances this season has kind of meant, again, that we need to be more reliant on Shankland. I think that it is it's a slight concern, but even then, you know, I'd, I've been really impressed with Janelli in the last few weeks to be able to get goals. Mm-hmm. A right good uh, run of form just now. So, it's kind of relieved the pressure a little bit on Shankland because his, uh, it's not exactly a goal drought he's having just now, but he's maybe not scored as many in, in this calendar year as you'd maybe expect. Mm-hmm. You touched on Barry McKay there as well, but a drop-off this season from last. Any particular reason you think that's going to come about this year? Because when he came back into the league last season, he was flying for Hearts and looked really, really impressive in that position. And I know, I know there was a lot of calls for him even to be, you know, looked to being called up in the Scotland setup as well off the back of that. But you're right, it does appear to have kind of tailed off a little bit this season. Any, any particular reason you think for that? Yeah, I mean, he, he got a call-up. He was in the, the Scotland squad for the Czech Republic game, mm-hmm. I think, because uh, uh, Kingsley was called up and he he got a, a cap. Um, so the two of them were doing well. I think if you look at Barry Minkai's career, it's kind of not too dissimilar to every team he's been at. Yeah, <laughs> he went, well. Yeah, he went down south and, like, you know, at Swansea, started really well and then tailed off. At Nottingham Forest, started really well, tailed off. Um, at Fleetwood, he was only there for a season, I think, um, but he, he did well in that season. And I think it's just about it's about giving him that confidence and, and you know basically making him believe in himself again because right now he's just sort of drifting through games a wee bit. I feel like uh, you know you're talking about reliance on Shankland. I think we're very reliant on Barry McKay as well. I think there's yeah. almost fear of dropping him because he's the sort of guy that you say, oh well, you can create something out of nothing. All you need is one minute of brilliance and we might win a game. But at the same time, if that's to the detriment of the 89 minutes, apart from that. Then you maybe need to look at it and say, right, who can we who can we bring in instead and just freshen it up a bit? And I think that for me, for a lot of Hearts fans, you know, I, I still love Barry McKay. He's, he is a magician when he wants to be, but there's merit in taking him out of the team uh, and giving someone else a run. I think that you know the St Johnston game to bring that up again. He was dropped in that game, came off the bench and scored the winning goal and, and looked brilliant because he obviously he had a bit of hunger and, and yeah. a bit of desire because he wasn't starting the game. So yeah. I think there's there's definitely merit in dropping him, um, but at the same time, I can understand why Nielsen doesn't because of those reasons. You know, he can pop one in the top corner or, or set up a chance that no one else can. Um, but yeah, he's 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 not been not been the same player this season. Craig Gordon, another one you touched on a minute ago with a, out with a long term injury, as we all know. Um, although at this rate, he might be back playing before Aberdeen get a new manager in place. Um, <laughs> how's Xander Clark done in his in his place? Do you think? He's been great. He's been great. Honestly, he's been really good. He was good again against Celtic, uh, obviously, conceding three goals, but he made three or four great saves as well. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's sort of surprised me a wee bit. I, I always thought he was decent at St. Johnston, but but not, you know, international calibre, not yeah. top three in the Premiership calibre. But he's come in and he's done really, really well. His shot stopping is brilliant. He commands his area. Um, you know, there was a couple of times when he first came in that he was sort of flapping at crosses. That's been chained out of him now. You know, he's coming out and he's, he's claiming or, or, or getting really good hands on it. He's not a great kicker. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's always looking for a short pass and that is 
a massive heart in the mouth <laughs> uh, moment. Kind of every time he does that, I'm concerned against Aberdeen when you've got the likes of Duke uh, sniffing about that he'll obviously cotton on to that as well. But no, I've been really impressed by him. I think he will he'll get called up for Scotland. I don't know if he'll get the jersey, but yeah, been really impressed with him, really happy with him. I guess just um, from a Hearts perspective, who who in the Aberdeen team are you guys kind of like a bit wary of? You just touched on Duke obviously a minute ago. Why wouldn't he be? He is the best player in the league by a country mile. Um, but anyone else in the Aberdeen team that kind of that, that um, you guys like the look of? Honestly, like I, I could watch Duke uh, all day long. I I adore him. It's very it's not very often that I adore <laughs> opposition players, but I just love that guy, and I, I think that. The league needs to enjoy him while it has him, because uh, he'll be he'll be getting attention from elsewhere. I mean, look at Mayovsky and just look at his goals. To be honest with you, and, and look at his ratio. He's maybe not the flashy player that Duke is, but Duke sort of enables him to to be that that penalty box striker and, and be the guy that can get on the end of things. So obviously, I'm a I'm, I'm a huge fan of his as well. Leighton Clarkson, uh, I think, is is a great wee player, and he sort of reminds me a bit of Dylan Levitt coming into the league last season, mm-hmm. uh, and just sort of being that. Spark in the midfield can score outrageous goals, but also you know has a bit of a little bit of dig about him uh, and and sort of makes the team tick from the middle. And obviously, I've always I've always enjoyed the football styles of Graham Shinney as well. Just a a guy that will put his body in a cement mixer uh, to, to to benefit his team. So yeah, listen, it's one of those. It's a funny thing, man. You look at the Aberdeen squad on paper, and you think they should be they should be level pegging my hearts right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's enough quality in there. That suggests, and, and obviously the, the financial outlay in that as well. You know, it's Dave Cormack wasn't scared to put his hand in his pocket in the summer. It was maybe just not the right manager to to give that money to. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good squad all over. I think your your defence is maybe still a wee bit shaky, um, and that's something that that Hart should be looking to benefit from. But I, again, I've enjoyed Matty Pollock since he came in. I think he's he's looked decent. Angus McDonald uh, sort of jury's out a wee bit, but again, he's he's definitely better than Anthony Stewart. <laughs> Um, so not hard, not hard, <laughs> not difficult, not difficult. So yeah, listen, there's there's quality over the all over the park for Aberdeen, but Duke's the one man. He uh, in in the game in October, he whilst injured, uh, skinned <laughs> half of Hearts back line to set up his line. So yeah, yeah, that one legged run was pretty. Um, it was pretty entertaining. I'm not gonna lie. Um, the goal obviously last time out of Tannadice is just ridiculous. Um, oh. We were laughing at the time because we were right, kind of we were in such a good angle for it. And when you saw him do it, you were just like, why? Like I'm not I, I'm not gonna like deny him doing it, but you know that moment you could have just side footed that in. Yeah, it, it, the thought process to do that at nil nil when it's so critical, it's fine doing that when it's like you're four or five nil up in your showboat. The presence of mind team think, you know what, that's what I'm gonna do is just ridiculous. That, I love players that don't have to but just want to. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that, and that's exactly what he is. Now he's he's a joy to watch, man. I, I, I hope he's I hope he's terrible at the weekend, but he's uh, he's he's some player, honestly. I, I really like him. It's a huge game, isn't it, for both clubs? Like I said, when we started off, I don't think a few weeks ago we necessarily thought it would be. Um, but I think a win for Hearts certainly, in my eyes, would ensure that I think it's very unlikely that Aberdeen could even claim third spot this season. If Aberdeen were to pick up the points, though, you know, for Aberdeen and for Hibs as well, it could very much be a bit of a case of game on again in the in the fight for third. Oh, a hundred percent. I think it's uh, it's it's almost like. Kind of feels like performance-wise, obviously Hearts have still been getting the results, but performance-wise, it feels like we've been sleepwalking a wee bit. Uh, you know, we just assumed that because we got third so easily last season, it'll be the same again this season. You know, we just we're forgetting about the fact that Aberdeen and Hibs have actually hit some good form. <clears throat> so it's like you know, teams are creeping up on us now, and I think that to be honest with you, it's a good thing for Hearts. Obviously, the Scottish Cup is now no longer yeah. after Celtic beat us, and it's it's a good thing that there's going to be a bit more competition because I want to see domestically this Hearts team given a challenge and, and given something to face up against because 
as I say, Nielsen's never had hearts lower than third. But at the same time, there's not been huge challenges from any team during the, uh, during those seasons as well. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm impressed by Hibs just now. Aberdeen are, are, are you know getting better and better. So, yeah, it's it's a huge match, and I think that the closer it gets to kick off, and the the, the more you sort of study the league table, the more you realise that you know it's not going to be as easy as it was for Hearts last season to take the third position, and uh, and yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game, and hopefully uh, the Hearts players realise that, and, and Robbie Nielsen realises that, and we see a performance a little bit better than what we have seen in the last few weeks. And it's it's totally cliche, but it's it's one of those cliche things because it is true. I mean, it's 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 much healthier for the Scottish game in general if Hearts, Hibs, and Aberdeen in particular are a bit closer to each other and challenging each other that little bit more and kind of pushing each other on because the more we all push each other on to be better, then you like to think that hopefully pushes us a little bit closer to the the two at the top of the table as well going forward. And that can be the only good thing for 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 Scottish football going forward as well. I think. Hundred percent. It's if the collective gets stronger, um, then then that's that's nothing but a good thing. And I think that you know you look at last season and Rangers with the the, the worst ever team in Champions League group stage history, uh, Hearts losing shipping five and four goals to Istanbul and Fiorentina. Not unexpected, but still, you know you want Scottish football to seem better. Uh, Motherwell getting beat by Sligo. Um, Celtic not exactly having a, a great Champions League campaign either so you know you want to see not just domestically but how can these teams then improve to to make more of a mark in a, a European sense as well because we've got that extra European position now you know things are things are good generally look, looking from the outside but again if the collective gets better then that, that can only be a good thing and I think that with Hearts, Aberdeen, Hibs you've got three teams that have finances now that can actually spend a bit of money and you know, trying to improve themselves in that way. Dundee United, uh, obviously, you, you would think uh, it would, would be the other team that, that would be up there, but obviously they're absolutely nowhere near it. But you want those teams to, to be improving and, and pushing each other on. And again, I, I totally agree with you. That that can be nothing but a good thing. Excellent, mate. Listen, we'll wrap up now. Um, we never let anyone leave without making a venture prediction for the game ahead. So, uh, Mr. Borthwick, Aberdeen Hearts next Saturday. Your prediction, please. Uh, Aberdeen nil hearts four. So I basically <laughs> see. I, I've been asked for predictions all the time recently, and I've just gone for like, why not just four nil hearts? So I see it all the time. Honestly, I was on a I was on a Celtic podcast the other day before the Scottish Cup game. Four nil hearts. I just it's just that's that is my prediction now. Don't sit on the fence. No, have a bit of fun. Go ridiculous with it. So uh, yeah, why I, why I, not? I did the same on a Celtic podcast recently as well. It was the game with Robson. It was like, what are your prediction? I was like. 3-0 Aberdeen and just a sharp <laughs> intake of breath that was held on the other end was amazing brilliant yes. stuff yes listen mate perfect thank you so much for joining us on no the problem. ZFP um, I was going to say all the best for next Saturday but I'd be absolutely lying if I said that and I'd also be lying if I said all the best for the rest of the season but it's been a pleasure mate um, thank, no, you thank you for taking us and um, we'll catch you on the other side nice one thanks very much mate enjoyed that cheers so there we go gents um, Rob with a ballsy 4-0 hearts prediction um, at the back end of that I mean, I do enjoy Rob's um, take on this and I, I full-heartedly agree with it um, I do the same whenever I go on anyone else's podcast as well but for us just to wrap up this segment your predictions for the visit of Hearts to Pataudry on, on Saturday the good news for us is that Rob's got a fairly sketchy track record on the old uh, banker segment on he, he really the tennis yeah. so I don't think we need to be overly worried about that prediction um, you know like, like I say because the Hearts game at Tyne Castle is not really all that long ago. No, it's not. I'm in relatively good spirits about this game, and I've got a lot of confidence off the back of the win at Tanadice. Yeah, I've been drinking, I can see here tonight. Now, the whiskey may be 
playing a part in this prediction. But I think we're going to win 3 0. A clean sheet as well. Jesus. Yep. Gav's going. Even Graham raised a, a proper furrowed eyebrow at that one. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. 3 0, nay danger, Oyamovsky double, and a Matty Pollock header. And then up to Keith for the night. As is his right. I'm going to say 2 1, Aberdeen. I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet despite our defence being much improved, but I think it will be we'll be 2 0 up. Chuck one in with 10 minutes to go just for a laugh because that's what Aberdeen do and then it'll be a lot more nervous <laughs> towards the end than it should have been. I can't remember. Did, did Hearts have a player sent off earlier in the season? In the game in October? No, no, they yeah. didn't, no. Did they, ha- they should have had someone off. They should have, the boy Grant should have got sent off, I think. Um, ah, he got a yellow for wiping out scales. Mm, don't think it was somebody down the left. Was it McCrory, maybe? I can't remember. But anyway, um, anyway. Andy Halliday to get sent off. Okay, excellent, as always. Uh, I'm going to go Aberdeen 3, Hearts 1. I, I feel that there's an element of confidence about us as well um, this week. Another week off, another opportunity to get some more work done on the training ground, etc. Hearts off the back of two pretty demoralising defeats at Celtic as well. So 3-1 Aberdeen, the charge is back on, and then we'll probably shit the bed the week after, but who, who, who cares? And that wrap up the preview of the Hearts game um, moving on to other news from Cormac Park and EB24 this week there's little to report um, in the main other than the news that Dante Polara has returned to the US of A to join USL Championship side Charleston Battery so there we go thoughts well it's another one to add to Lone Watch it is another one to add to Lone Watch it's, it's increasing my workload on a Sunday morning so thanks for that um, happening. Charleston Battery I mean they do sound like a powerhouse in oh. the American soccer pyramid. Do you think they're supercharged? Oh dear. I think that one fell flat. <laughs> nice. Nice, Graham. Love well, that. I will say on Povara, it's the bits I've seen, like he's not, um, he's by no means the worst player we've ever had, but it's a lot of, oh, if this oh, doesn't, yeah, that's a, <laughs> I know that's quite the statement. Uh, this is a, a bit of a shame if this doesn't work out because, <laughs> Obviously, as soon it's not as, the worst player we've ever had. Well, as soon as he was announced, everyone's like, ah, American soccer's pish, blah, 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 you'll be shit. And if he turns out to be shit, then obviously it's not a great look when you've got a chairman based in America and supposedly a link up with an American club. If, you know, you, I would have expected <laughs> us to be able to tap that market. And if first time out doesn't go well, all you're going to be met with is meltdown the next time we sign someone from the States. Well, especially if we sign someone from like high school football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, you've got to speculate to accumulate. I mean, he he will be automatically the most handsome player in USL Championship. I mean, that's undoubted. And I did enjoy the picture of him holding his cannon. That's not a euphemism, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> in his signing photos. Um, yeah. I did enjoy him remarking that the stadium looks amazing when it looks like a building site. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But it's the things you have to say, isn't it? Yeah. Is this why everyone, you two included, were taken in by Jim Goodwin talking well? It's the things you have to say. Oh, I'm, I'm past that now, Graham. Come on. <laughs> I guess the um, the only other big news that's kind of appeared this week, let's let's touch on this quickly because somebody did ask us to talk about it in the Twitter section. Graham, you're, you're fortunate it's not wrestling right now. We'll come on to that later on. Um, right. But um, this is around the potential plans that are for um, restructuring of the pyramid again in Scottish football. Um, which, and, and and from what we can see, I think there are three proposals on the table for this one. And this one feels like it could be an entire podcast episode in and of itself. But I guess just for an immediate reaction to this, because I think it does appear as though 
um, our club are possibly getting involved this time. So um, three proposals, I think, being put out there. One is for an SPFL League 3, which would consist of 10 teams, including Coke teams, who would not be able to be promoted up to, sorry, who would be able to be promoted up to, but not beyond League 1. The Coke teams or everyone? uh, The Coke teams couldn't go beyond League 1. Yeah, yeah. Um, An expanded SPFL League 2, so it would see it go from 10 to 16 clubs, of which some of the new the, the new six teams would be Colt teams, and then there would be some Highland League and Lowland League teams. Colt teams could go as far as League 1, but no further. Or a new 10-team conference league that would sit between League 2 and then the Highland League and Lowland Leagues, which would include the Colt teams, some Lowland League clubs, some Highland League clubs, but the Colt teams would not be allowed to be promoted from that league. So in the... Um, I think certainly in the case of the first and third options there, so a new SPL League Three or a new Conference League, you run the you, what will end up happening there theoretically is going to be that your current tier five and tier six and everybody from below there would effectively be demoted another tier again because you'd be sandwiching in another league. And on top of that, just your kind of general thoughts on this. I mean, for me, I. I, I just I hate this idea about the Colt teams full stop. I hate the prospect that Aberdeen are even thinking about trying to get involved in it. Um, but just um, just your thoughts, I, th- I guess it's a, it's a bit of a prickly subject. Let's put it that way. So I, I hadn't realized there were three proposals involved. I'd heard about the quote unquote Super Conference League or whatever it was going to be called. Or I love it if they called it that, the Super Conference League. Um, the first two ideas are an immediate no for the reasons of the. I mean, the Colt team involvement is bad enough, but the idea they can be promoted to League One and then just basically, you know, take a place there in theory and uh, create a closed shop environment almost. That's 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 not uh, that's not for me. Um, I, I don't see, I don't think this is a problem that needs to be solved. I don't think the way the football pyramid works right now is, I don't think it needs any changing for it, personally speaking. I, I think there are things, for me, I think there are things within the, the pyramid system that, could and should be changed. I think there should be more promotion and relegation taking place, automatic promotion and relegation throughout the pyramids. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with that actually, especially from League Two. I don't think they sh- the Lowland or Highland teams should have to go through the number of hoops they do no. to in order in order to get promoted into uh, into that league. It feels like there should be like even if it's just a, a one off playoff between the Lowland League champions and the Highland League champions, and then, and then maybe like, yeah. and then that that's it. Yeah. That team goes up. It's, they don't have to then play the tenth place team in in League Two. I guess the difficulty uh, with that, I, th- I think, what they will say to that is the difficulty is then where do you place the, the relegated team? Uh, into purgatory. <laughs> if it's someone like Cowden Beef, just who cares? Uh, jokes. Um, but in fairness, yeah. that that problem exists now anyway. In re- in reality, yeah, I don't think that's unnecessary. I don't think you need to change so much like the, the way the pyramid is built mm-hmm. i think you can look at how it is right now and you can possibly look at restructuring the relegation autumn um promotion situation and as far as the cult team i think graham comments in the past like if premiership teams want players to go and get experience then just loan them out don't you know take up all these spots and you know because you're taking those opportunities away from teams that you know it's their, it's, it's their, it's their lifeblood that's what you're taking away or put the proper reserve league back in place again because there is a reserve league that's out there at the moment, and everyone kind of forgets about this. But there's only a handful of teams in the country that play in it. Um, Graham, sorry, you, you've not had a chance to say anything yet. Yeah, I'm not really too sure 
to be perfectly honest, because I think I'd seen that. I hadn't seen all those proposals, but I think I'd seen, or maybe I just misunderstood it. It was something along the lines of, so like the Colt teams couldn't get promoted, but the so say you, the Colt teams finished first and second, it just basically meant the teams that were third and fourth were effectively first and second, that they were going to playoff. So you could still, so you didn't, like if the, if the Colt teams won the league, I didn't mean no one could come up. Yeah. Because you still had the, but then it means you've got a mid-table battle for who gets promoted, which still is a bit crazy because you've got teams that are even weaker than their place in that division would suggest getting up and then presumably just getting absolutely battered down the next season. So that doesn't really necessarily help out. I mean, I think anything that basically says we're bigger and better than the teams that are already established in these leagues is a little bit off and disrespectful. So, but, you know, putting Colt teams in because and it, it's obviously a bit crazy to say Aberdeen are one of the teams with all the money, but relative to the resources, yeah. a lot of those other teams in those leagues would have. I kind of think if we need to develop our own players, then, yeah, the, the bigger teams need to be putting that league back together or we need to be doing something else. I'm not really sure we should be taking up spots for you know, other other teams. I think it's a little bit off to be kind of saying, right, we've decided you, you and you are crap, so see you later and we want to put the kids in. And then we'll probably get bored with it after a couple of years. Agreed. I just, uh, yeah, I just, I, I just don't see the rationale behind it at all. Yeah, because well, I also, I mean, what's that going to do for the leagues as well? Because, I mean, I don't know what sort of numbers go and watch the Colt teams for Rangers and Celtic, but it's not many. It's not many. Well, that's what I was kind of thinking. So it's not like putting in Premiership B teams effectively is going to get thousands of people going to games they wouldn't normally go. So yeah. You know, you could maybe say, well, okay, fine. There's a financial gain there because longer term, you might attract more sponsors to the league, et cetera, if the tenses are up. But in the short term, anytime you're playing an Aberdeen Colts team, you're going to get 2,000 people turning up versus, you know, whatever you would normally get. I don't really think it works that way. So I'm not really sure, other than the other than the bigger clubs who can put a Colt team in, I don't see where the benefit is for anyone else. I'm not entirely sure I even see the benefit for the, the teams in question who want to put the Colts in anyway. You know, it's not as though, you know, Rangers, Celtic and Hearts are the Colts teams at the moment in the Lowland League. It's not as though they're they're seeing, as a result of that, players being churned off the production line now ready to go into their first teams, is it? Like, it's not going to happen at Rangers, Celtic anyway. We know that. Um, I think it's unlikely to happen at Hearts at this moment in time as well. They've got a big squad of kind of established players already as it is. I see from the bigger team's perspective that they have this concern that they want to have a team being built rather than just sending players out on loan and stuff. Um, and they feel that that, that without any with the, the under eighteen setup at the moment doesn't provide enough. There's not there's not that middle ground between playing under eighteen football to get into first team football. I, I kind of understand that argument. I, I I agree. There's a gap. I'm just not sure. But I'm just well, we'll just bring the reserve league back because that's it. Also serves another problem, which is. How often do we see now players in Aberdeen's a classic example of that this season with likes of Cal Roberts, Shaden Morris, guys like this who've been out long-term injuries. How do they get back to match sharpness at the moment to, to try and get back into Matt, the first-team squad? It's very difficult for them to do so. Yeah, the halfway house used to be your your kids mm-hmm. could compete against pros on their way back from injury. Mm-hmm. And obviously your pros on their way back from injury got a more competitive environment to get their fitness back than just training so yeah. that felt like it was the sweet spot for everyone and it feels like it's the obvious thing and it's like well, I, I just don't understand it 
I think so because it doesn't mess up the leagues. You know, so no other teams are really impacted by this in terms of someone coming in deciding, well, we'll take your place in the league or you can't come up because a, a Colt team won it, they can't go up. And you've got the best of both worlds. You could put your young kids out if you wanted and give them a test against a team that maybe had some, you know, some more experienced heads in it. Or you got a chance to get guys, even just like um, the guys that we're not playing, keep them ticking over, even if there's a view to try and punt them on in a window, for yeah. example, whereas now they're just sitting around so they're sitting around they're training but it's nowhere near the same yeah I mean to answer your question Guy what happened to Cal Roberts and Shane Morris they come back we put them in the first team and then they pull up with another hammy and we throw our hands up and ask why how, how did that happen yeah exactly uh, and I think I think as well there's there's a lot of aspirational clubs in the Highland League the Lowland League yeah. uh, leagues below that this just feels like a the method to just you know cut their legs out from under them and take a chance away I think the league in Scotland has benefited massively from like likes of Cove and Kelsey coming in with like you know aspirations to actually you know progress through the league and give players another place to play rather than a lot of these kind of league two clubs that we had that were just kind of happy to be there and we're finishing 10th every season you know like yeah. like East Stirlingshire were yeah I completely I think that that's why my only thing I would have said for me the only thing that needs to be improved is the setup of the structure as it is at the moment to increase the flow of teams up and down the leagues whether that also means increasing the number of teams in like league two and league one for example um potentially to make those leagues a little bit more interesting from that perspective who knows i just don't think this is the answer also the playoff to the yes to the premiership should be uh changed because it's bullshit right now uh it's a total load of nonsense it should just there is no reason why a team that have been a garbage all year and finished 11th in the premier should get the advantage they do yeah i agree if they want to have a le- an element of playoffs then they should be it should be two down for me, I, th- I think every league should be two up, two down, but the two down should be automatic. And if you want to have playoffs, then it's in the in the promotion race coming up. So you have the top, the, like second and third, or even fourth. You could do a third v fourth, and then the winner of that plays the second team, and then get promoted. The 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 the, the playoff where you involve the the bottom team from the league above is an absolute abomination. Um, in particular, the Premiership one where it gets so weighted towards them. Even I don't I don't mind it quite so much down further than the league where. Second bottom plus to play like fourth. Yeah. Initially. And then you kind of get through that way. So yeah, anyway, there we go. While we're talking about academy players, because um we did put a question earlier on to, to people to ask us anything they wanted us to cover tonight. Um Chidi Freena Quali had um asked us this one. Name an academy player you had high hopes for that never made it. Feels fitting while we're talking about cool teams. Ooh. Um you know what? Funnily enough, I was thinking about this uh the night when I was thinking about um because you still hear with um, Lawrence Shankly, you'll hear Aberdeen fans every now and again pop up saying that, oh, we should have let him go. And I think like in the in the end, letting him go was the best thing for him because it made him like, you know, focus and, um, you know, actually reevaluate how his career was going to go if he carried on the way he was. And uh, at a similar time, Craig Story was also at mm-hmm. Aberdeen and he was let go and he did not focus <laughs> on his career. He did much no. the opposite. Um, that was a, That was one of those kids that was like, you know, Came in, we Man United were interested. That's, that was always the chat. We we constantly come to Aberdeen, and we needed him for a game uh, midweek against Celtic, and he dominated the midfield. He looked like he had all the talent in the world. Yeah, maybe that was just because it was who he was playing against. Just throwing that out there. Well, I mean, he would have motivation, I guess, based on his uh, tattoos. But uh, yeah, that was a that was he seemed like a real talent, and it's just like you know, he just seemed like he threw it all away. I think. 
I think sadly there's been a few. Oh, I've got it, loads for this. Sometimes they get hyped. But the, the one that I can think back to, and I think this is partly because he'd been hyped up so much and then when I actually got to see him, I didn't really get it and then it never really worked was Bagshaw. Yeah. 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 Because I think, what was he, 16? When I guess he must have signed his first, I think he signed a, maybe not a professional deal, but he was at, so it was at that age where, I think he was obviously playing well in his age group and he had all the the hype in and around the club and in the sort of local press. I remember suddenly you start getting the to get the Wayne Rooney chat. Well, yeah. you know, obviously they've got papers to sell, so you obviously take them with a pinch of salt. But you know, the the hype from and not just the media, but like in general, and you think, oh, this is really quite exciting. I remember we went to a, a youth game one evening at Patodri. And it sounds really critical of him, but I was looking around and I was like, is, is he playing? So yeah, that's the guy. But that guy that's done literally fuck all all night and looks <laughs> no better than anyone else. You know, maybe he's having an off game, but he was the one where I was really excited just based on everything I'd heard. Seen him a couple of times. I don't really get it. Maybe it's just not, not his night. And then, you know, he kind of just faded away, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. Um... Now, certainly from a, a career that... I think a lot of people expected something from, yeah. n- never sort of uh, reached the levels that a lot of people thought he could have and or should have. I've got loads for this. Um, I ended up narrowing it down to like three, I think. Um, one of whom never even played first team for Aberdeen. Um, Scott Muirhead, when he first came at the Aberdeen team, I thought there was something about him. I remember he played, I, th- I think his debut was at Tanadice, wasn't it? The game after Ebb said he was leaving? Ebb's last game. And he played pretty well that afternoon, I thought. And then he played really well against Brecon City. Yeah. In a League Cup tie. Yep. Um it and I thought there was something about him. I think for me there's always something about left footed wingers who can beat a man that always looks it's always, it's always very appealing to the eye. And I thought there was something in there with him and it just obviously never happened. Um Ashley McInnes is a shout I had. And Ashley so we're all um in the purpose of disclosure West Hill Academy alumni. Um and Ashley was West Hill Academy as well. Well that's the street cred gone. Absolutely. It's all right. We, did we have any? I might I have done so. Um <laughs> <laughs> he would have been a few years younger than us, I think, but he was a hell of a talented footballer. Um, Ashley Ashley was in my year at school. Was he your year at school? He yeah. was a really, really talented footballer. Um coming through the ranks and everything. I always he's probably just a little bit too small, I think was probably the thing that always hindered him a little bit but I always thought there was really high hopes of him and it just never happened well I mean because the thing with that for me was because we would play football at lunchtime and you know like you say he was he was by far and away the best player and you could never get anywhere near him if you got anywhere near him he would just roll the ball the opposite direction and you'd be wondering where the hell he went and I remember we then went to watch Aberdeen versus Fraserburgh in the Aberdeenshire Cup and I want to say it might have been David Drillich's like debut I might be wrong with that might have been a different time yeah, Ashley played right wing that day in the first half and he did not be his man once. Got hooked at half time and was never seen again. And it was kind of like yeah. that moment of like, wow. Because like, there's levels ha- to this I can game. handle myself here with a football, like on, at fives, I like to think. But yeah, there's levels here. That's, it was, a, it was a, a reality check for me, as much as him probably on that day. Well, I remember that as well, though. Do you remember when we played fives back back in the day, not current fives, when um, Murray, McCulloch. Murray McCulloch yeah, rocked up to play for, I can't remember who it was. He I played, think he'd, he'd just been us. released. 
So yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because he played a couple of weeks ago. This must have been under the Patterson. There was him. Maybe was it Scott Meehy? Was a couple of guys who were being released and they they played at Pataudry. And actually, he wasn't that bad. Because what was he? Defender. Right back. Right back. Yeah. So then, yeah, turns up a couple of weeks later. Obviously, released playing with his pals, and you're like, ah, this guy's just in been a league released. match against us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This guy's just been released. He plays right back. What's this all about? He didn't even break sweat, and you couldn't even get close to him. Oh, nowhere near him. Nowhere. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and he was clearly not. He was obviously had a mind on. I might get a, a gig somewhere, so he's not putting himself about. But yeah, anytime you're like, oh, I'll just shut him down. So hang on, where's he gone, and why is the ball in the back of the net? Uh, and that, yeah, that was an example of the the step up in quality between guys that maybe think they can handle themselves, or even guys that look good. On a Monday night, and I bet if we'd watched him play some of the better teams at goals, yeah. he'd have still been doing that. So yeah, it gives you just a, a feel for what's you know the, the ability these guys actually have. Absolutely. Um, my third choice would have been um, I'd have gone. I'd have said Peter Pollitt. Like I had all the talent in the world potentially, uh, and there was that small little just streak that we saw of him in that 2013-2014 season, and it felt like it finally clicked for him there because he'd always been kind of injury prone. And then after the League Cup final, it just didn't happen for him again, did it? You know, I mean, obviously he missed out on that game through injury. And look at his career now. Like, it's just it's just not worked out for the for the lad. Well, I mean, he, I, I would say he peaked at Enrieca, that diving header. Yeah, yeah, but I just... That was, that was, that was special. Yeah, after it, that, was. After, it was. He got injured early on in that season. I think that did it for yeah. him. Then we, then we signed Kenny McLean. And he kind of didn't find himself in the team anymore. Yeah. And yeah, it was you know, his kind of career at Aberdeen kind of fell off a cliff. And then he made a decision to go to MK Dons, which, why? Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. And yeah, now he's uh, now he's at Dundee United. So I guess you're right. Indeed. Right. I'll, let, let's go through some of the things that people asked us to cover quickly before we go into Lone Watch. Um, and some of this we'll need to come back to because there's no way we can possibly do it um, or give it any sort of justice in this moment in time. I do like this one. Uh, Gareth at Dean Thon Credit Zero. That doesn't sound like a bot at all, but never mind. Wants us to fantasy book an AFC Royal Rumble. <laughs> Gav, I think that's one for you and I. Yeah, we'll do that another time. That sounds like a segment. I need he needs to confirm. Yeah. Gareth, if you're listening, is that current players or an all-time AFC Royal Rumble? We just need to know. My my money's on Leon Mike. I think he takes a bit to shift over that top rope. <laughs> um the Dawn, the Dawn 1903, he would like to know the objectives of Aberdeen. Is it to try and win the league at some point in the next decade? Decade, If so, what are the plans to make it happen on and off the pitch? Or is it third? I think the Dawn has maybe misinterpreted that we're Alan Burrows. Um, I'm not entirely sure this is for us to talk about. Well, the good thing for uh, this individual is that we'll have the manifest that we set out a couple of years ago that he can address. So top 100 club, yeah. uh, top UEFA 100 club, uh, attacking football, football mastery, all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on that, in fairness, uh, fair play to Alan Burrows for a joining him with the banter about the Kevin Owens thing, um, on Twitter, and for agreeing to come on the show once he sorts out some of the more pressing issues he has at the moment as an inbox. Um, it's all right, Alan. We we appreciate we're not top of the list right now. It's okay. Um, Matthew Inkster at Matt Inkster, uh, Eugene Daddy versus Tony Kumbuari in Hell in a Cell. Who wins? I reckon Tony's got like a real mean streak in him. Yeah, I think Tony Kubelari as well. Yeah. Uh, Eugene's far too nice. Yeah, Eugene's a nice guy, and he also wants to know which women's wrestlers are your current favorite. 
Graham, I thought we'd agreed to keep this segment to I'm going to bed or something. <laughs> I'm just reading them out in the order they come in. Sorry, Gav. Um, I'm a big fan of Asuka. Okay, it's Jamie Hater for me. Hater's going to hate. Uh, Dazzler at Daz Abel. Realistically, will the gap between them and the rest of us ever get smaller? Is there hope with the likes of us selling Ramsey McKenna etc. for higher fees, or will the prices of average players in the Glasgow teams just be further inflated? Well, the, the thing about that is that when fees are getting bigger for the likes of McKenna and Ramsey, they'll be even bigger for the likes of Kyogo and Atati. So throwing all the natural uh, financial advantages they have, um, I can't see it happening anytime soon. And the thing is that with financial fair play, the way it is, it, we couldn't even have someone come in and artificially, you know, create, make us like a bigger team because we just get punished with that because that's financial fair play has been designed to, stop smaller teams from becoming you know financially compatible with these uh with these bigger teams so uh the only way that happens is if they depart for other shores i don't see the day where anyone will ever get close to them you know in the examples the the guy gave where we're selling players if there's inflation for our players the the celtic and or rangers factor mm-hmm. blows that out of the water anyway before the fact that the starting point is higher I mean, who's the the guy they sold to Everton, defender. Oh, Patterson. Patterson. Hardly played any games. Not really sure he's all that. Was it 10 million? 12, uh, 10, 12, yeah. yeah. Crazy. You know, Calvin Ramsey had had a lot more, more first-team experience. Obviously, they both had limited experience, but he had more. Um, seemed to be a better player. Goes for a fraction. So I don't think you'll ever... You'll never beat them in a transfer fee, and I don't see how you'll ever get close to them the resources unless something catastrophic happens but even when it did and they spent money they didn't have they just came back and started spending money they don't have so yeah not sure how you can get rid of them and of course the question about there you know is there hope with us being able to sell ramsey mckenna etc for higher fees to help close the gap well what would help there is if we hadn't shat the bed the season before or had to deal with covid then we could have actually done some of that money rather than just cover the losses that for money that we should have had so there we go paul davidson at cautious paul for the dons what could the club do to increase revenues out with tickets and DNA? Well, that sounds like an that sounds like a lengthy conversation. Yeah, that's that's way too big for yeah for this, this segment. Uh, on a quick note, one thing that they used—I mean, you don't get the rugby games here anymore—and they used to yeah. have the odd concert. Yeah, yeah. which you probably Ellen missed what with. Well, yeah, because we got a new pitch out of that. We did. <laughs> shh, shh. Well, I don't know. If, well, I'm not saying we need a new pitch now, but. Uh, I guess my point was... Could they run over our left-back and we could get a new left-back? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? They did. I mean, not that these were necessarily strategies to generate extra revenue, but there used to be yeah. a little bit more going on at Petodre out with just football. I don't really... Well, we, we just need the new stadium anymore. and we'll get all the all the thousands coming for extracurricular activities. That, yeah, uh, yeah. What was it? Yeah. 2.4 billion? Yeah. Is that what was going to yeah. come? Yeah. There was like 300,000 a season coming to watch rugby, I think. Yeah, well, the Martians yeah. were going to come down, weren't they? That's it. Absolutely. Um, on the wrestling side, he's asking, what match at Mania or out with anything involving the bloodline are you most looking forward to? It's, I can just see Graham cringing at this, and I know there's people out there that are going to be like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I feel your pain. And, and so, yeah, we, we need to create a side hustle. Really, we need do. To. We probably do, don't we? Um, Wayne McCray at. Wayne McRae, uh, how many silly, he said how much silly goals, it's how many silly goals Jack McKenzie's cost us this season. Is he the new Andy Constantine? 
I, in my that, head, I, I think that's a bit harsh. I don't think he's cost us that many silly goals this season. I was going to say that's harsh. He's nothing like Andrew Considine. <laughs> Who's a harsh on? Andrew Considine. If Jack McKenzie is uh, pulling on a Scotland shirt in his 30s to save us in a uh, in a playoff <laughs> to qualify for a major tournament, then uh, you know that bit You know that bit in The Simpsons when uh, Mr. Burns says, you know what, I think I'll make a donation to the local orphanage <laughs> when pigs fly. <laughs> And he sees it go by and says, forget what I just said. <laughs> I'm looking through the list of games that Jack McKenzie's featured in this season. I don't think he's really been at fault for any goals apart from the one at United last week. I'm sure there's... Oh, there's oh, there's more. No, he's, he's, he's not, like, no, he messed up at St Mirren. He was trying to take the ball down, do something clever. So it was about... It wasn't quite on the halfway line. Yes. The ball came, I can't remember oh, what, the ball yeah. was shelled. Oh, when, yeah. when Roos was up the park. Yeah, yeah. and he tried to do yeah. something and Roos, and, and Roos is entering into a light jog to get back. Yeah. Aye, yeah, Roos isn't exactly being <laughs> professional about getting back, but still, great days. Mackenzie had plenty of time to deal with that. Fucking great days, isn't it? Uh, there was a goal at Hibs in the 3-1 defeat where there is a man in front of him and he stands looking astonished that a Hibs player has just scored. Okay, there we go. Which, to be fair, is how we had been taught. To it defend. is our opus yeah. mop, our opus mopper, modus operandi. That's modus the one I'm looking for. <laughs> um, Chris, they never, they never did teach me Latin at, at Crombie. <laughs> at Chris, you're at Clippy Bow. This one is going to. This one's probably an entire episode itself. How a bit with the box, but how about a series of questions about ourselves? First game, favorite player, goal, match, etc., and the negative side. Um, also, maybe do your favourite eleven since you've seen them. Well, here's one for the here's one for the Patreon top tier collectors. There is actually a, a <laughs> is this really sad to admit? It probably is, but we wanted to test everything to make sure it all worked because we were doing this. We started to talk about doing this in the midst of COVID, and we weren't we weren't able to kind of probably meet up to talk about it properly. So we initially ran a test episode, which is kind of what you do. Isn't it? That's, that's it's a called a pilot. So there is a pilot in existence somewhere. I think it's on Gav will have it. Um, because Gav ah. wanted to test out editing and everything. I where we did our favorite our favorite ever Don's Eleven. I do believe in internet talk that has been put in the recycling bin and the bin has been emptied. Oh, that right. is a priceless Oh Gav, what are you doing? Piece of yeah, I was gonna say that that, that could have been kind of a car that. boot sale in years to come and made some of a fortune. Everything has changed since then. We did not know of a Duke at that time. Well, shall we maybe run that at some point? There's an international break coming up. We could do it then. We could do that then. Yeah, absolutely. It feels a bit self-indulgent. Do we interview ourselves? It I don't doesn't know. it doesn't sound as fun as the worst eleven. But no, I'm, I'm up for doing it. Yeah, if people want all to right. know what we're uh, what we're all about, then okay, let's let's go for it. Give there the people go. what they want. That's what that's what it's all about. As long as the people pay for it, indeed. Um, B sixteen Duke at Chris Ra two one two five three two two four two. What sport would be the funniest if you added the minimum amount of alcohol to it? What does he mean by the minimum amount of alcohol? I don't really know, but I presume it just means like even if you just added the, the smallest amount of alcohol, to, if you just created like a, a minimum level that you have to like achieve before you can take part. Um, let's, so I, let's say you have to give somebody three nips of whiskey, right? What would be the um, funniest sport if you did that? Well, I was thinking something that would inject some fun into athletics is if like in relay racing before you can start <laughs> running, you had to like chug a beer. Nice, good, good. Or maybe like 
discus. <laughs> Something a little bit batshit crazy, like discus, right. or, or like the um, discus, the... but with no cage, so what's it can the... literally go anywhere. <laughs> the fans the... is ducking. Yes, what's the what's hammer. The, the hammer. <laughs> no, yeah, the hammer. That's the hammer. Because the hammer looks fucking mental enough as it is. Javelin, to be fair. Javelin bluter, that could just go anywhere. Just pie some boy down the home straight doing the four hundred. Or meters. into the athlete. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm encouraging drink driving, but I reckon Formula One. Well, I was gonna say some sort of motorsport would be or you could do it like Dodgems. Yeah, it would be the- oh, so it's all safe, but something like that would be quite funny. <laughs> if they did that, Al Russell would be signing up. He's got some free time now. So I that's indeed well done, Gav. Lovely stuff. Um tied that back which was good um <clears throat> gav one for you does samojo regret joining aew considering his big pal paul is now in charge uh i think we need to send graham a picture of samoa joe i think we do i think we're going to top up my beer ask him if you uh if is this your stereotypical picture of a professional wrestler <laughs> <laughs> um uh... also i don't think he does but Got it. No, I don't think he does either. At Mutton Man 1983, when will the new manager be announced? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or updated to an extent, um, but the like, update is, like, there is no update. Just like, in time for season ticket renewals. That's my prediction. Yes, Graham. <laughs> Graham knows it. Stuart Donald, at We Stew Donald, wants us to do a breakdown of all of the mentioned possible managerial ap- appointments so far. Um, I can do like a speed round on this. Let's do a speed round. Like, uh, so, Paul Lambert, no. Malky Mackay, no. Racist. Charlie Adam, no. No. Um, who else? Chris Wilder, boo. <laughs> Chris Wilder, <laughs> bullet. <laughs> Dodged. Yeah, I, I agree. He's got to deal with Ryan Porteous now. Marty Sifuentes, <laughs> pipe dream, always was. Sorry, guy. Not going to happen. Um, really gutted about it. Really gutted. Rica- Ricardo Rodriguez, good name. Yeah, I don't know enough about the more serious potential candidates that are on that list. Obviously, we've gone through the what you hope are joke candidates and dismissed them straight away. <laughs> but of the more serious ones, and the ones that have actually hung around in the lists over the last you know few weeks, um, I don't really know enough. About I do it, love, to be perfectly honest. I do love the idea that Dwight York. Yes. It's going yes. around just throwing shade at every other candidate <laughs> that's been mentioned. I think he was saying, like, if you want, like, a, a young coach who's going to come bring attacking, exciting football, I'm your man. If you want a boring, middle-aged white guy from England who's going to play <laughs> 3-5-2, go for Chris Wilder. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. For hilarity factor alone, maybe Dwight York's the man. I don't know. Well, hmm. Hmm. You want someone else to try about first. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, it is an interesting one because I have no feel. For, I mean, there's a couple of names in there that I just don't think are. I mean, they're, they're there just because the list has to have someone a bit more exotic on it. I'm not sure how realistic it is you'd ever actually get them to speak to you, never mind be able to afford to do anything about it. Um, but I haven't actually looked at the list. Really well. I don't know if it's been fairly steady. Someone earlier this evening mentioned that Steve Clark has dropped to four to one now i think that's probably a representation of the fact that the market is very very volatile uh, that's and true, you know uh, a tenor here and there changes things dramatically i still can't see steve clark being someone we'd entertain never mind aberdeen being a job that he would consider but um like so I, as i kind of mentioned um on another show earlier in the week i think we're in safe hands right now and there's other issues to be addressed before we get to the manager still 
I tend to agree. I understand because I myself I'm a little bit frustrated as well. But every week that goes by and we get a result, it's just another week to take your time and review your options is how I see it. Is there anyone currently managing a club in Scotland you'd accept? You know what? I, I didn't want to call it would be all right with me. <laughs> there we go. Quite like I, what he's doing. <laughs> I didn't want to outright dismiss that because like obviously Scotland's like the one answer, but obviously that's not serious it's unlikely um, isn't it so i don't i looked through the leagues and honestly i think there's there's managers doing good work with a lot of clubs but none of them are like none of them fit the bill for aberdeen in uh, in my humble opinion so uh unfortunately the answer is no to that question i can't think of anyone out there currently that i i think is yeah is, is suitable or career tra- trajectory is on the right path well, I mean, Dickie Emery's doing really great work with Morton. He is doing a very good job at Morton, but he doesn't have the experience that I think we need because we've had our fingers burnt with that. If Jim Goodwin at Aberdeen was crazy enough, just imagine for a split second if Dougie Emery was holding a red imagine scarf. following Imagine following Jim Goodwin up with Dougie Emery. Doing good work with Morton. Should not be dismissed. But if you, Should be dismissed. But if you think back to just the sheer... Cast your mind back, say, 10 years. If you had even then been told at any point in time at that, at, at, in around the era that Jim Goodwin be, would be the manager of Avenue Football Club, he'd then be sacked and Doug Yimini would be the next guy in the door. And preceding all of that is Stephen Glass. Um, Stephen Glass part's not so wild out of that, but geez, oh. Uh, well, if you had a time machine, you'd find out it is. Anyway, um, Mark Simpson, got two last questions. Here we go. Mark Simpson has got two because he's a greedy bastard. But we'll let him off. Who was the more handsome Aberdeen manager? Dreamboat Derek or Handsome Jim? Oh, um, Jim. Jim. Because De- Derek like, had like a, I think the term is a glow up later on in his time when he got, like grew his hair out and got a beard on. But yeah. Jim Goodwin, from the minute he walked in, was like, oof, that's uh There's a man who doesn't know what he's doing. I still, I still remember the slow motion video from uh, in the car park at Fur Park and his, uh, on his debut game. It's like, yep, yeah, they know. They know. They know the demographics are targeting with this content. And last, who'd win in a fight? 10 duke-sized elephants or 10 elephant-sized dukes? I don't even understand the question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 10 duke-sized elephants or 10 elephant-sized dukes? 10 duke-sized elephants or 10 elephant-sized dukes? Elephants are quite docile creatures, aren't they? Uh, 10 elephant-sized dukes would be my answer. Graham? I'll just say 10 Duke-sized elephants. On to loan watch. Conor McLennan for St. Johnson. No game for the Saints this week. Uh, and Kieran Gwenya at Wraith Rovers. No place in the matchday squad as Wraith's run in the Scottish Cup came to an end as the hands of Sevco a 3-0 defeat at Mordor. The end of the road for Rovers. Breakout star Kieran Gwenya. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Um, well, he wasn't in the matchday squad because he's away on international duty. Oh yes, of if course. That's, if that's not the makings of a breakout star, I don't know what it is. Yeah, up yours, Graham. Right. right so who's whose side you're on tonight? <laughs> <laughs> um Jack Milne, Kelty Hearts. Um 90 minutes under the belt, so that's a positive. Um one to forget for Jack Milne, shall we say, scored his own goal and also had his pants pulled down um with Airdrie's fourth, fifth goal. Fifth, of, of the fifth, day, the fifth. 
as Airdrie routed KLT by six goals to one League One. Have you seen this one, Graham? I've seen... Oh, was that him that got schooled by the boy? Yes, yeah. Scalker. Yeah. Oh, where he ricochets it with a, a David Woods touch on the halfway line just a bit. And then... <laughs> yeah, I have seen that. I didn't realise that was Mill because the footage I've seen... I think it must have just been someone doing it on their phone. Or it's, it's a little bit grainy. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's not a great look. Because I, I I had sympathy for the guy. I didn't realise it was Jack Milne. <laughs> I'd kind of I'd been concerned. I, I could clock the, the shirt number on the back and I, I did the uh, okay the required uh, due diligence. And yes, that, is, uh, that was Jack Milne. Ouch. Not his best moment. A man who has watched far too much Tony shoot up at close and personal. <laughs> Aaron Reed and Evan Towler, Elgin City. Towler again with another 90 minutes. Under his belt, Reed came off the bench. On 54 minutes, as 10-man Elgin went down by four goals to one at Galabank to Annan Athletic in League 2. That's a hell of a trip, isn't it? Elgin to Annan to get scudded 4-1. me. What I love about this is that it's been commented already is that Kane Hester, like Elgin's star striker, is cleared of spot-fixing the day before yeah. this game. And then Elgin pick up three yellow cards and a red card in the first half and then go <laughs> down 4-1. Yeah. It's like, okay, maybe it wasn't him that was the issue. Yeah. I also enjoyed the fact that he said he didn't remember about any of this. Was that not part of the reason how he got off? Because he said, like, I got caught up in the game. Yeah. And sort of said, basically said, I forgot that I'd been paid to get booked. Yeah, basically. I've heard more absurd excuses in my time. <laughs> Wayne Hennessy. Yeah, that's a very fair point. That That's probably the best one of the lot, I think. When I say best, you know what I mean. Um, Kevin Hanratty for Martin United, for Martin's game with Forrest mechanics surviving the arctic conditions sweeping the country that one ended in a 1-1 draw in forest Hanrati started that one on the bench i can't find out anywhere online whether he came off the bench on this one so if highland league teams would like to you know just step up a wee bit boys and you know make your match reports or your twitter feeds make it clear what's going on that would be much appreciated if there's any massive format for martin united fans out there who happen to beat the game let us know if you played no idea Anthony Stewart at the Milton Keynes Dons, still injured. MK Dons with a 1-0 win over Cambridge United in League 1 down south. Coincidence or related? Well, he's not played yet for them, so it's hard to tell, isn't it? Let's be honest. Played for us, though. Indeed he has, and don't we all have the mental scars to show for it? Dean Campbell, back out of the matchday squad as big bad Steve Evans as Stevenage got back to winning ways. A 3-1 win over Walsall in League 2, which puts them three points clear now of Northampton Town in the race to automatic promotion. Does he go down as one that people had hopes for in terms of an academy player? That's a good check. Yes. Because he, you know, he had a lot of reputation and or hype and at times has played really rather well for Aberdeen, but he's never going to get a contract in the summer. Well, he's never put it, he's never put it together over a period of time. No, so I feel like he's one you know, probably the most recent example of one that uh, I feel like is isn't going to be back yeah, here, a... and but might look back on. I mean, now you mentioned that I was excited when Conor McLennan came into the team. Yeah, he's had his. I feel like that's different because, like, he's been around for long enough to show that he's just not up to the level required. Whereas I'm not sure. Well, I guess Campbell's been around for. Well, a few Campbell's years been as well, around actually. for a wee, a long time. Yeah, now. no, maybe that is a fair point. Anyway, anyway, segue. Yes, segue ended. Yeah, Vicente Bajouin, uh, we've touched on it before, out injured, uh, back in Aberdeen rehabbing, unlikely he goes back to Excelsior Rotterdam this season. And then our new entrant, in with a bullet, Dante Povara for the Charleston Battery. 
Yes, Gal. I don't know. That just made me laugh for some reason. <laughs> what did? In with a bullet. I don't know. Reminded me of Charlton Heston. Okay. <laughs> from these cold, dead hands. Um, joined Battery earlier in the week, came off the bench in their opening game of the USL Championship season on the 74th minute as they drew 1-1 with Phoenix Rising FC. And they are, of course, the continuation team of the now-defunct home of Darren Mackey, Phoenix FC. Phoenix Wolves, weren't they? They were Phoenix Wolves, and then that went tatties and they became Phoenix FC. And then that went tatties, and then the boy bought the rights to them, and now they're Phoenix Rising. So Scott Morrison was also there. He was. That's another one. As was David Robertson. David Robertson yes. was the manager, of course. Yes. As the old uh, head coach. Yep. Can we just have an hour moment just to think about Mackie's arrival at Phoenix at the airport? You are my Mackie, my Darren Mackie. You make me happy <laughs> when skies are grey. You'll never know, Darren, how much we love you. So please don't take my Mackie away. Was thoughtful of them. Ten Arizonians in an airport singing a bewildered Darren Mackey and his wife and maybe young child. Yeah. Do you know what? One of my biggest regrets is that I didn't buy a Phoenix Wolves shirt. (laughs) And the reason I didn't, because they were really expensive. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they were were expensive in dollar terms if you were in the States. And then obviously to get it over here and all the rest of it, you'd obviously have to have Mackey on the back. So... I decided not to do it because I didn't think they would go like burst. I thought I'll get one when they're cheaper, but to this day <laughs> haunts me, genuinely haunts me. Well, Graham, if you're signing the cream of the Scottish crop like Darren Mack and Scott Morrison, you need to bring in the revenue to pay their chunky, chunky wages. Well, but they were they had huge plans because they also had at one point effectively a crowd runner, a crowd runner, crowd funder for their own like team bus. <laughs> this is. I'm try, I don't know if I. I don't know if I will find this. I promise I'm not making this up. So, you know, the I can't remember where they, the stadium they first started in, was the big one. It was, it was yeah, the college. It was the college. It was the university, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a big. So you know they were going to obviously be playing there as they started out, and <laughs> they were going to expand the team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I, I don't know if I'd be able to find this through googling, but they honestly had. If it wasn't through the crowdfunder website, it was something similar, or through their own website. They were soliciting donations. DarrenMackie.com. Are you sure it wasn't just Darren in some elaborate money laundering scheme? No, they had a mocked up bus with a big wolf on it. <laughs> That's not a lie. That's not a lie. I just don't know if I will find it. Because yeah, they were they were playing like I'm sure it's like the Phoenix University yeah, like, yeah. stadium. And then of course, like because it's a brand new startup soccer team, there was like two Yanks and a dog that was shot for their games, and then they got punted out to like the public park, which is where we see the infamous video of Mackey putting a ball into a pond. Ah, uh, great days, great days. Anyway, there we go. On to the young team, I think. Stuart Duff and Robbie Hedeman continuing in charge for the trip to Sevco Youth on Friday as the Dons look to maintain their fine run of form and state the summit of the Cass under-18 table and the Dons getting off to a fine start. Just six minutes on the clock, Finlay Marshall capitalising on a high press on a Rangers goal kick to nick the ball off a Sevco centre-half and finish calmly. The Dons doubling their lead just five minutes later. Alfie Bavard for the fine running shot, which struck the post. The rebound finished off by Adam Emsley. But hey, these young boys get brought up the Aberdeen way because the 2-0 lead wasn't to last for long. Pasnick slipping through the Dons press and finishing past Oliemi for on 19 minutes before equalising just after the half-hour mark. Stevens getting on the end of a corner to bundle home halftime. 
Desmond Tutu. The Dons managed to show great resolve and conviction, though, to retake the lead on 65 minutes. Babbage finding some space in the box and his shot slipped under the goalkeeper, rolling in off the post his 30th goal of this campaign. That's insane. 30 goals in one season. Great stuff. Top marks all around. The Dons then seeing through the remaining 25 minutes for a huge win on the road to extend their unbeaten run and maintaining their spot at the top of the league ahead of the visit to Hibs to Cormac Park on Friday. You know what? I mean, just say credit to the young team because they obviously, you know, their manager is not there anymore. They'll have had some, uh, that, that kind of turnover, new coaching team. They've just maintained the form they've had all season, kept churning out results and, you know, Led by Alfie Babbage, I mean, 30 goals in a season, that's incredible. Yeah, I did just, we got some interesting, um, we got an interesting message actually during the week, because um, I think we touched on it last week. Remember, we all said that we felt that the first team were looking potentially a little bit fitter under Robson. Somebody did um, send us a message saying that they'd, um, they'd heard from some of the people involved with the youth setup who, it's fair to say that the young team are not missing Barry Robson not being in charge of them at the moment, just in terms of the grueling training sessions they were put under by Robson. So maybe there is something in that. Maybe we were actually accurate in terms of the fact he's maybe just working the first team that a little bit harder. It's, it's, I think it's definitely the case. And you just, you look back to that interview with Graham Hunter with Jim Goodwin that, you know, oh, what, yes. what made his career, what Jim Goodwin had a professional career because he was fit. Yeah. And that was going to be his thing with his teams. And we just, we never What got... he meant was to look at. <laughs> Jim Goodwin was not fit to look at when he was at St Mirren no he, really, he had some horrendous haircuts didn't he um, so for that to not come anywhere close to happening and then in such a quick time by Robson now change that all around yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's credit to him 30 goals in a season do you think keeping on the academy player tangent do you think he'll be one that we never get to see well, I think we commented that teams are looking at him already in England I mean that's an outrageous return. As I said last week, it's it's unfortunate we've not had enough games where we've been like in a comfortable position and we can just bring him on for actual genuine game time and see if he can yeah. translate that into the first team because, yeah, like I said, that, that return's amazing. Ah, oh, come on, Saturday when we're 4 nil up against Hearts at halftime. Here's hoping. Bring him on. Here's hoping. Absolutely. Uh, on to the women's team. After some toing and froing um, towards the back end of the week, the Quine's final pre- Split fixture against Motherwell was moved to Cormac Park. No visitors allowed. Um, I think this was down to the fact that basically they were so concerned about the game going ahead because of the weather and the only pitch that was available at Cormac Park, I think, was the main training pitch. So there, there wasn't an area there for spectators to be at. Gav's grimacing about this. Well, I mean, I get this notion that they were um, nervous about the Balmoral for good reason because like Cove had to have a whole team of volunteers to clear their pitches to train um, in midweek and... The weather wasn't looking great, but then like Bank City played at home on Saturday. Yeah. Could we seriously, as like the sole professional team in, in, in the Northeast in Aberdeen, not just make a deal for one day just to hire their pitch for a game? Yeah. And then just like invite people along for free. Yeah. Anyway, um for this uh, this was an important match for Motherwell, not so much for Aberdeen. Um their place in the bottom six had already been I was gonna say secured. That sounds like the wrong yes, well done, everybody. But never mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the Fisher is needing a win alongside. Do you think that's what Craig Brown used to say to our team back in the day? Bottom six lads, well done. Well done. Objective achieved. <laughs> Kudos. Um, anyway, Motherwell needing a win to get to top six alongside a defeat for Park Thistle. Um, 
the Quines, again, only able to name three substitutes on the bench today, including young striker Darcy Miller. No place on the bench for on-loan goalkeeper India Marwaha, who joined from Celtic um, a couple of weeks ago. So again, no substitute goalkeeper on the bench for this one. Uh, Francesca Ogilvie missing out, as did Millie Ucker after her red card. Last time out, and despite those setbacks, it was the Quines who opened the scoring. Hannah Stewart converting a penalty of 40 minutes. However, Motherwell equalising soon after through Carla Boyce before she then tucked away a penalty at the hour mark to make it 2-1. Kayla Jardine wrapping up the win for the visitors with 10 minutes remaining. With Thistle, though, winning 1-0 at United, three points weren't enough for Well to make the top six. So they will join Aberdeen in the bottom six alongside Spartans, Dungeon United, Hamilton Ackies and Glasgow women who went down to an 11-0 defeat at Glasgow City today. And Graham, guess who scored for City? About to say, thank God, I couldn't remember who she played for, but of course, Priscilla Chinchilla. There we go. <laughs> I think I think my year would be made if Aberdeen could just launch an, ex, an extravagant bid for Priscilla Chinchilla to join Aberdeen Women next season. Agreed. Yeah, I'd be okay if Aberdeen Women like decided to get their shit together. <laughs> also, well, yeah, felt not a bad bench. idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a real pity the way that's played out this year. Yeah, I watched the um, I watched the second half of that game. And you know what? Okay, you put the game to Cormac Park and you put a single camera on some uh, scaffolding. And on the left side, if the goal, if if you're looking towards the goal to the left, all you see is a big other TV camera that takes all your attention. And if, <laughs> if the camera turns to the right, you see a piece of the scaffolding that the camera immediately focuses on. So then everything on the pitch is a blur. Like, so, and then what I watched on the pitch was the, uh, the women's team, they, they just, they seem like I don't get what they're doing a lot of the time. It's just like, they're just playing the ball to nothing on so many occasions. And then like, because you know, they don't have enough players, Gav. And then, and then the third goal is like, it's a ball over the top and the keeper is just uh, maybe, I mean, maybe she's related to Kelrus. I don't know. Just rooted to her. I think if she comes, no, she's in, placed, she plays center half. Just a point of order. Nadine Hansen is not related to Kel Roos. That okay, is a, not an unpleasant okay. rumour to start. Sorry. It was a bad, bad performance from the latest team. And that's been the kind of way it's been for a lot of the season. And Graham's right. Like, we sacked. I know <laughs> that it, it was made out that, you know, Emma Hunter walked away from the job. But let's be honest, we kind of know the truth was that she was pushed. And the way it's been handled since then, it's. Graham's exactly right when he said that if that was the way the men's team was treated, then we'd be burning Patoji to the ground right now. It's it's sham it's it it is shambolic the way the women's team has uh, has been allowed. There's been a lot of more shambolic things happen at Patoji over the years, and we've still never burned the place to the ground, Gav. That's because it's old. It's full of asbestos. Can't be burned. <laughs> if we took a caretaker in, let's just say, for example, by Robson had lost all five of his games right now, we were still saying, give it time. Nah, give it some. You'll come good. It'll come good. It'd be, would be, would be going full blown Parisian on this whole thing. It's yeah, it's it's shambolic the way the women's team has been allowed to, from what it was last year, you know, a lot of good feeling to the way it is now. It's yeah, it's, there's a lot of things to answer for. Indeed. Sorry, Graham. No, no, I was going to say, I agree. Well, that's a that's a really. I love the fact that even we haven't even played like the the, the men's team haven't played this week, but we somehow still managed to end up ending the first segment on a downer. So well done all involved. 
This episode of the ABC Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Siberia is back and better than ever in 2023 with a revamped food menu and even better, they're offering free area hires between January and March. Head on down and get rid of those January blues by enjoying a night out with your friends on Belmont Street. Book an area or even a table for Siberia's 2023 burn supper via their website at siberia-aberdeen.co.uk. Welcome back to the ABC Football Podcast. Um, before we move on to the interview with Gavin Ray, just a quick shout out to uh, those of you who've made your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund this week. That includes Inverness Dawn. Am I actually meant to shout Inverness Dawn? Yes. <laughs> like a German stadium announcer. Yes. All right. Set me up one more time. Include it. <laughs> you want to do the whole thing again? No, no. Just, you know, Inverness Dawn. Give me that. Okay. Including Inverness Dawn. Inverness Dawn! We see you. We acknowledge you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash APZ Football Podcast. The link is in the description. Shouts of beer or coffee it is much appreciated. Remember at the Allianz when we were getting cuffed 5-1 by Bayern Munich and their announcer would do the whole uh, score or goal by number one, like number five, Daniel number one. It wasn't that bad that night. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Van Boyton, Daniel Van Boyton, Van Boyton. I'm just why he never did that for uh, sea level. I was the same. Go for Aberdeen, number I nine, think... Stevie. <laughs> Love. Yeah, Stevie. I thought he should have done it purely just to take the Mickey. To be honest, I, I would have still taken part. If I'd have been, I think we did, didn't we? Did we not end up doing it? I think. Um, I can't recall that far into the game. Lovell wasn't number nine, was he? Was he number... He was number nine. Uh, did Miller... Miller was nope. 16. Miller took number nine the next year when Stevie Lovell left for, right. Falk, for the powerhouse that is Falkirk Football Club. That's right. And joined John Hughes. Anyway. Um, <sighs> Who expected us to talk about Stevie Lovell tonight? Not me. Not me. Anyway, moving on. Time for the return of our exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past. And present this time, a man... Born in Aberdeen, grew up a Dons fan before making his breakthrough in the professional game with Dundee before spells with the now defunct Rangers Football Club, Cardiff City, Dundee again before making his way to Pataudry in January 2012. Going on to make 53 appearances in red, scoring four goals. It is, of course, Gavin Ray. Gavin Ray, welcome along to the ABZ Football Podcast, all the way from Sydney, Australia. I think this is definitely our longest uh, interview so far in terms of distance. How's it going, mate? It's good, thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's uh, no good to join you. Listen, it's a, oh, the pleasure's ours. Um, I'll just get started. Started, I guess. Um, born in Aberdeen, November nineteen seventy-seven. Um, just talk to us a little bit about your upbringing in the city. Yeah, yeah. so born in Aberdeen. Obviously, grew up there. Obviously, until uh, I was sixteen when I left to go to Dundee. But yeah, born. Uh, Mum and dad bought a house in Bridgetown when I was been you know, before I was born and. You know, raised there until till I left, really, and, and they're still in the same house now. So, uh, yeah, Bridget Don's where I was, and um, yeah, no, it was, it was a great, it was a great upbringing. When can, can is there a is there a moment where you can kind of pinpoint when you first started getting into watching football or playing football? 
Um, I was always always really interested. So my dad played all sorts of sports, um, you know, and I was always interested in lots of sports, but football was the one that sort of took my interest the most. Um, and my dad used to take me along to, to the Aberdeen games when I was young. Um, so obviously early memories, going to Pataudry, freezing cold, you know, absolutely freezing. Um, and yeah, nah, so always, always been Aberdeen and, and, you know, he's always been a, a keen fan and then brought us along to the game. So, yeah, just obviously not not too far from the stadium. Yeah, of course, um, yeah. You know, and obviously, and getting down there, obviously took fucking ages getting home after the games, but that was just the way it was. It hasn't changed. <laughs> no, not sorted that out. But yeah, no, I was, yeah, always, always been interested and, and still love football to this day, you know, um, still, still play and, and coach and all that sort of stuff and kids are involved. So yeah, I'll always love football, but from a young age, really, really um, loved it. Playing at primary school, obviously through secondary school and, and juvenile football as well. Who would have been, you reckon, your favourite player when you were growing up? I used to love the two centre half. So, Willie Miller, Art McLeish, they were my absolute heroes when I was growing up. I used to love Willie Miller just because he was so cool. You know, he was such a good player, but just so cool. Like, he was just never flustered, um, solid, proper solid, proper, you know, run the show at the back, but, you know, a top, top player as well. Um, so, he was, he was a big hero of mine. I love Jim Bett when he came to the club, just his passing range and, and what he could bring bring to the club. And then, you know, moving through, like, there was so many, like, favourites. But Hans Heelhouse, when he came, I was just like, wow, this was, like, next level. Yeah. He was like, wow, this is incredible where we've managed to sign, like. It's one of those, isn't it, when you try and explain to, like, younger Aberdeen fans now. So, like, I, I first started going to Aberdeen when I was, uh, I would have been, like, four or five, I think, my first home game. So it was, like, 87. So I missed the glory years. I was able, yeah. fortunately, to see like Miller and McLeish as they were going to come to the back end of their career. But when you look back now and you look at Hill House in particular, he just won the European Cup with PSV. Like that season, for, imagine an Aberdeen now signing a European Cup winner from yeah. like who would that be? Who's Real Madrid, isn't it? So who's that going to be? Um, yeah. And Jim Bet, quick, let's talk about Jim Bet. How mm. much would Jim Bet be worth in the modern game? Oh, incredible. Yeah, he had it all, you know, score goals, but actually dictated games as well. Um, Maybe didn't look the most athletic, but was athletic enough, you know, certainly to get around and, and as I say, just dictated games. And I just loved, I loved his passing range and, and obviously he's just everything about him. But yeah, and I was, I was lucky enough to, to live. I was, I'm old enough to, um, you know, have seen the team in the eighties. Yeah. You know, I remember, I remember getting, I remember when they when they won the Cup Winners Cup against Real Madrid and. Um, Everyone was just out in the out in the street like celebrating. This is back in, in Forby Terrace, you know, where where we grew up, and everyone's out in the street celebrating. Everyone got a day off school the next day, and that's just like that was the best thing ever. And, you know, if, if you were a fan, if you were a fan anyway, but this was just like cemented it, like getting a day off school, like everyone going to, you know, the reception, bringing them home. It was just it was just phenomenal, and they were such a good team, and and obviously with an incredible manager that's went on to. Obviously, bigger and better things, and just proved how just how good he was. Um, so I was lucky to see the team through that era. Young, young, but still sort of lucky enough to go and watch games yeah. at that age and see that at times. Um, obviously, can't remember too much. I'd have been six when when they won the cup, um, and then but yeah, towards sort of later on in the eighties, obviously a bit more memories of that games. But yeah, it was amazing, amazing be to be supporting a team and just thinking that this was normal. You know, yeah. this is standard was normal. Like all the all the trophies are winning, and obviously winning the league and, and cups, and having a phenomenal manager. You're just thinking this is just normal because I was just growing up, and this was this was my team. So it was like it's crazy, you know, just to think how how blessed we are just to see that, and just think it was 
the actual just the norm um but it's so far from the norm and it just shows you how big achievement it was that, that what they what they did for the club you know yeah exactly i mean like we're recording this on the monday after the um horrendous defeat at paradise on saturday the 4-0. Uh, yeah we did the kind yeah. of debrief on the podcast last night about it and you know we were kind of talking about that that like historically aberdeen if you take the fergie era out and maybe like the 89 90 season where they won the cup double maybe the 94 95 season where there was a kind of relegation runoff like aberdeen have historically actually not been great at performing in pressure situations, you know, with those big crowds or whatever. And it's almost a, it feels like it's almost a, a systemic issue within the club to a certain extent from that perspective. And if you take that Fergie golden era out of the equation, it, it doesn't look, you know, great sometimes. Um, for you, Phil Gabba, back to, back to yourself. I mean, coming through the kind of primary school, uh, secondary school, juvenile football, etc., always a midfielder or were you kind of playing elsewhere in the park? Yeah, no, I actually started left back. I was left back for years, even though I'm not left footed, I was right footed. But to be honest, it was probably there was better midfielders at that time as we were growing up. And that's a fact, you know, there was better players than me in my team for sure. Um, so it was like finding a place for me. I was always, you know, quite strong and athletic um, and loved the game. So I was always, you know, tenacious and loved getting up and down the park and enjoying it. But yeah, not not technically great at that age. And, and I ended up playing left back. Um, and then sort of progressed as, as we went on, played a few different positions, but left back was where I sort of started in the juvenile sort of football and then gravitated towards midfield as I, as I, as I got older. Yeah. Obviously, you signed for Dundee in it's August 95, I think, um, on, on a YTS, so the old school YTS scheme. Um, how did you end up at Dundee? And I mean, did you have opportunities at Aberdeen or was it just one of these things that's Dundee where the team that came in? Yeah, no, I mean, when I was younger, I changed with Dundee United sporadically. I changed with Aberdeen on the old grass, uh, the old ash park across right. from the stadium, the car park, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, when, when when Jockey Scott was there, actually, Alex Smith, Jockey Scott. So, you know, I've changed, changed out there, Drew Jarvie and that, and, but never really got an opportunity to, to sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I was like, I mean, would have been about 15, 16 at that point. So, like, I've said this many times, like all my like all my friends were signed S form, you know, school by forms with like Aberdeen, United, um, you know, some had been down down in England, Celtic Rangers. And I was probably the last of our like peer group, my peer group, who were good friends and like who played football to really get signed up with anyone. So it's it's just it's crazy how it all works. But I was sort of late developer in terms of technical ability. Um, always had the you know the physical attributes, but you know, late late developer definitely in terms of the technical side um and the football probably the football brain the football intelligence as well um and then so i was unsigned and then there was a scout from catch lived in Bridgeton as well his name is mike will who i owe a lot to he, he put my name forward for dundee he's a dundee scout we lived in in aberdeen he'd done all the aberdeen area uh for dundee and he put my name forward for uh, to dundee and then I don't know how this happened, but Jim Duffy actually came to a game. So it was a it was a juvenile cup final at East End Park next yeah. to Pataudry. Um, and it was us, so it was my team. So I was at Dilly, Tilly Drone and D-Side, that was my, my clubs. But Tilly Drone, D-Side, Glentana. Um, and we were playing against, I think it was Dice. I think it was Dice at that time. So Jerry O'Driscoll was at Dice. Okay. Um, and... Mike Will had put this guy, had put Jerry's name forward as well. So I think uh, Jim Duffy just says, well, that's, they're playing against each other in a cup final. Ideal, I'll go and watch a game. And 
but to have even like he was a first first team manager was incredible for him to turn up and actually watch two two youngsters who were 15, 16, you know. Um and he came and watched the games, we both done well and and then he invited us down and and signed us both basically. And that's that's kind of how it came about. It was a really, really different path to a lot of lot of other different uh, different players and, and people that I know. Um, you know, coming late in the day and then having like a first team manager come and actually sign us. So very strange sort of how it all came about, but obviously it worked, worked out well for me. I think I'm right in saying you shared digs in Dundee originally with future Don Lee Mayer as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Was he was he punting his herbal life then as well? Yeah, well not then, no, but <laughs> Mezzo was my lodger. So Mezzo was younger than me. Um and then so they were in he was in digs with Jamie Langfield, <clears throat> another Don obviously. Yeah. And um so they were in digs together. And then they were getting older and then they were looking at other places. And I had just bought a house in Dundee and I said, Well, come and stay with me. Like us three will stay together. You know, I'll, we'll make sure we we'll try and look after each other, and, and you know, look after and be professional, and try and um, you know progress together. I wouldn't say it was professional, but you know, we managed to do all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were they were basically lodgers of mine. They two were lodgers of mine, and, and um, contributed towards my mortgage, which was good, which is ideal for me to be honest. It's the main thing. Better. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good though in terms of like the, the dynamic and, and us three being mates. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. That time was uh, was really cool, so it was good to have them be boys as well. You know, looking back now, who would you say are kind of like your probably the most influential characters or kind of personalities during your youth career, like when you were coming through the ranks at Dundee? Well, we had John McCormack was the youth team manager who was like absolute crazy, <laughs> like tough, tough, tough guy, like nicknamed Cowboy, like Cowboy, yeah. big guy. Uh, obviously, played for Dundee. He was a big character from the west west coast. Intimidating to begin with, obviously, as a, as a 15, 16 year old going down there, really intimidating. You know, I think Aberdeen, Aberdonians in general are quite, well, definitely more reserved than the West Coast. You yeah. know, people from down the West Coast, that's, that's a fact. Um, so it was uh, going into like <clears throat> Degs and a team with all these different people and characters. So it was intimidating to begin with, for sure. It was, it was tough that first year. And um, he was really tough. Jim Duffy got really involved with the youth side, which was amazing. So he was a top coach as well. Um, but they, they were the two coaches that when I was first went to Dundee through the youth team and reserves and then into the first team, they were the, they were the coaches at that point. And I think I've read it somewhere as well. You've kind of said, I think, previously that that first year, I think, was maybe a bit of a tough one um, mm-hmm. for you at Dundee. But do you think that, in retrospect, that that kind of tough spell maybe did help you later on in your career? You know, having to kind of come through that level of adversity to get... To, to make your you know make your weight Dundee, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I've said it before. Like, I used to get homesick leaving Aberdeen, going down to Dundee. Like I live in Sydney now. You know, it's nuts. Like <laughs> you know, it's fifty minutes away from you know on the motorway from Dundee to Aberdeen. And yeah, it was it was crazy. But that's just I was you know I'm, gonna say, I'm not saying going to say I was like living a pampered and sheltered life, but I was at home. I was just live, left school, and you know, mum and dad were great, great upbringing. I'd never been in a different environment. I'd never trained or coached or, you know, been any other clubs. I'd never really seen anything else. Yeah. So it was, it was a real wake-up call and it was a real, um, it was a tough year, really tough. The, the biggest thing was, I was playing shit. That was, that's the biggest thing, you know. If you're playing okay and you're confident, then you can sort of get through things. I was struggling, really struggling, like in, to the point where you think that level that all these, all my teammates are at and my peers are at, way above where I am. So then it becomes, you know, it's an inner inner confidence thing, and you, then you start doubt, self doubting yourself, and yeah, it was tough. That first year was tough, but you have to 
in all sport and not not just sport but in life you have to come through adversity i mean what yeah. what can you do you can do two things you can give up or you can you can really just you know battle down and just crack on and just keep going and you've got to sort of uh, take that choice and yeah it was it was one of them and towards the end of that first season started started picking up starting to you know find myself a little bit in terms of playing got a couple of goals and then you know, he started to get that confidence back, and I think the club seen a little bit more in me, which gave me confidence. But yeah, the first year was really tough, really tough. You end up though come through that. You make a first team debut for Dundee March nineteen ninety six, an away game at Hamilton Ackies at Firhill. Um, so Firhill, I presume, has got strong memories for yourself. This is in the old first division. Jim Duffy takes you off the bench for Andy Cargo. Did you have any sort of indication from Jim he was thinking about bringing you on that this was maybe going to be a debut match, or was it just a bit of a shock? It was a Gavin get stripped. You're you're on. Um, I'd been sort of in and out training with the first team. I had a, the second season at Dundee was like I'd done really well. I played all the youth games, I played all reserve games, and you know, I'd really sort of, as I say, real, real like if I'd went from zero confidence the year before, I'd like 100% confidence the year after, which was a massive turnaround. Um, I'd actually been invited to the first team's Highland League tour of pre season, so I played at Devon Vale with the first team, you know, when I was young. And and being around the team, so that was like a, an inkling that the the manager had like a bit of faith in me. So I'd been in and out training with the first team. I didn't think, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to be playing then. But yeah, lucky to get on. And yeah, when you're young, you've got no fear. It's just like basically, yeah, go for it. And and, and Andy, who I came on for, was a phenomenal talent. But obviously, didn't go on and have that amazing career. But he was an amazing, amazing talent. You know, but it's um, it just shows you like how many different people have different career paths. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it kind of takes the nineteen ninety eight season is the one that's probably your breakthrough season at Dundee, which is when Jockey Scott's coming in the hot seat for the second time. You're a major part of the team that wins the first division to get back into what would be the first ever Scottish Premier League. Just talk to us a little bit about Jockey Scott. I mean, like when we were messaging before you were coming on, we'd said that we just finished our interviews with Jockey, and Jockey was asking after you. He loved working with you. What are your thoughts about Jockey Scott? Ah, oh, I've got so much time for Jockey. He was. No, you always hear players who who like their managers that that played them every week. But it was more than that with Jockey. He actually like he probably saved saved my career in a way. You know, he was he came in at a time when I was on the out. I was definitely on the outer. Um, you know, John McCormack, was who was now the coach, the first team manager, who'd been my youth team coach, who'd been my reserve team coach, had played me all the time. But then got like he got a bit more experience and he got budget to buy players, so he bought experienced players, which one hundred percent he should have. But then I was sort of on the outer, and, I, and then again the confidence dips, and then it's just like it's a total battle again to try and get through it. And then just by chance, well, luckily for me, you know, you need luck in your career. Um, we we're top of the top of the league, uh, going for promotion, and he got sacked, which is nuts when you think about it. But I don't know whether there'd been, you know. Um, arguments with the board. I, I actually don't know why, what the reason was looking back. But for me, it was just a, an amazing timing. Um, and then Jockey came in. <clears throat> he just told us, like, clean slate for everyone. And then I was thinking, like, that's amazing. Done a couple, like, practice matches during the week um, against some junior teams, and I'd done really well. And then he started bringing me back into the team, and, and I was on the bench and that. In that, in the, the year we won the first division, I actually didn't play that much. I hardly played any, to be honest. Um, I'd only played. I'd been around the team. I'd been on the bench. I'd got on a couple of times, scored a couple of goals, but not really, you know, that involved. But then we got to the to the Premier League when we got promoted, which was amazing to be part of. Um, 
I think the actual being up in the Premier League actually suited me suited me better at that yeah. age. You no, know, it just seemed it just seemed <clears throat> you got more time in the ball and you could play. So that that actually suited me better. So then he started bloody me, uh, getting me into the games in the in the in the Prem, and and then from there just kicked on. So he's a huge part of my career. I've got utmost respect for him. Every time I see him, I always tell him, you know, I always thank him for what he done for me. Total gentleman of a guy uh, and a top coach, top coach. We had some amazing times when we went into the Prem with with uh, Jockey and Jimmy Bone. You know, that team, that squad that we had was just amazing times to think back on. Uh, you just kind of touched on the, the top flight seems to suit you well. Um, maintaining a place in the first team, Dundee finished the first season as fifth. Um, it was followed up by a seventh place finish the year after that. Then Jockey ends up getting jettisoned to be replaced by the Benetti brothers. Yeah. Again, like, you know, for yourself there, a, a manager who's come in, trusted you, brought you back in the fold in the form of jockey. What's your thoughts going through your head when he gets moved out? And then just talk us through as well the madness that the next couple of seasons brings at Dundee when you've got like, so, you know, Kinesia, Nimzadze, Caballero, all these guys could have suddenly appearing. Yeah, no, I was, glad, I was obviously glad that, first and foremost, glad that jockey was was leaving. He'd done such a good job with such an amazing team spirit, a great bunch of boys. You know, we're finishing fifth, seventh, like you mentioned, that at, like what I don't know what else they were expecting, you know, uh, to bring someone else or were they expecting to challenge? I have no idea. It's that's that was for the board and, and their their decision and the people that owned the club. But it was that was devastating, yeah, for sure. Um, because they'd been they'd been it would been such an amazing couple of years. Then the, the Benetis come in and obviously none of us really heard of any of them. Just thinking, okay, what what's happening here? And then it was it's back proper back to square one, like proper. Don't even know your name, basically. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I've played like 100 games for Dundee, but it doesn't matter. I have no idea who you are, basically. <laughs> so it was tough, really tough to begin with. Brought in some names, like you said. It ended up being like the training part of it when they came in, like obviously Italian, really tactical. We ended up training at like three o'clock in the afternoon to mirror games, you know, loads yeah. of different things. Just foreign to like us. Normal to them, but foreign to to us, you know. Um, really weird, sort of in the background. And to begin with, I was I, I couldn't have been further out the, out the picture. Like didn't even, as I say, didn't even know my name. Didn't even make the bench the first game of the season. And I was thinking, wow, I've played like every single game apart from one, which was actually at Petodri because I hurt my back. Um, I played every single Premier League game that season before, and then not even on the bench the next season, the start of the next season. I'm just like, wow. Okay, so it's back. It's one of them, is it? We need to go. Need to go again, and just thinking, never going to get a chance. And then you know, things happen. Things transpire. A midfielder got sent off at St. Mirren, Patricio Bilio, who you'll know, obviously. Yeah, as well, yeah, 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 yeah. Good, great lad, good player. Um, he'd taken my spot, but he got sent off at St. Mirren, a silly challenge. And then I was on the bench. I'd managed to work myself my way back on the bench. Got got on. Did really well, and he obviously missed the next game because he was suspended. And then again, got to start my first start with him, and then it, it, it went full circle. It went like from not even knowing who I was to being like even more trusting in me than probably Jockey was. Okay, which was which is crazy. Um, but it got to that point. He was like, "You will make your Scotland international debut this season." Like filling you with that confidence. I'm like. This guy's nuts, man. What what do you mean? Like you weren't even like considering me like a few weeks ago. But he took your squad number, didn't he? 
I, well, basically, it was call me by my squad number, call me by number 12 when we went to <laughs> like, we went to LA for three weeks, which again was really tough because you're out in the mountains pre-season, three weeks. It was time before the internet, I think. So, and you were <laughs> staying in your room and you had to train in the morning, like train at seven, train at 10, stay in your room in the afternoon and then we train at like five o'clock at night again. So three weeks of that, it was just like torture. Just like, and we only got like one night out right at the end. Um, you know, whereas, you know, you normally do more than that, but it was, uh, it, was it was it was just a cult, total culture change, culture yeah. shock. And to be honest, like, looking back on my career, it was actually really good for me because tactically they were phenomenal. Tactically, like, you, the, the training was pretty boring. It wasn't what we're used to, really different to what we're used to, but in terms of tactical-wise, they were outstanding. Like, probably the most tactical I've been coached by throughout my career, they were phenomenal. Man management and all that other stuff and enjoyment of training, nah, no, no interest. <laughs> yeah. Tactical, amazing. Tactical, brilliant. So, you know, you look at that and that's what made the games at the weekend so enjoyable once I got back into the team because everyone knew the role. And like you sort of mentioned, you touched on, we'd signed some phenomenal players like Nimzadze, you know, Caballero's a frighteningly good player. Kenicha's the best player, even now the best player I've ever played with. He was levels above. Um, you know, we had all these all these amazing players. We had a Scottish spine through the team with yeah, obviously Rapp, right, yeah. Stephen Tweed, um, Barry Smith was there, I was there. Uh, Willie Faulkner played, you know, there was Savile played, you know, there was always, there was a Scottish spine, which was great, um, but sort of mixed in with the with the, um, the flair from these foreign players. And I, I honestly, like some of the, some of the football we played and some of the results we got at that point were, was amazing. So really good to be a part of. Just different week, day to day and week to week, definitely. You've answered my next question, which was going to be out of all those guys that kind of came in. Who was the one that you most enjoyed playing with? But Kinesia, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, Kinesia was honestly, he's, I've been lucky to play with some amazing players in my career. He was like levels above. I've, I'm just like thinking, like, wow, this guy's ridiculous. Him and his, like, he was 33, obviously, when he joined the Dean, and he went on to Rangers. Him and his, like, in his peak of his career, he must have been ridiculous because he was still lightning, unbelievable football intelligence, amazing finisher, great guy as well, top, top guy. And we actually had a really good connection on the pitch because obviously at that time, when I was playing at that age, I was a box-to-box midfielder. So it was like, he always would be able to see, know my runs. I could, I could find him. We seemed to have a really good connection on the pitch, which was great. Which obviously I loved. It was amazing playing with him. Um, but yeah, he was he was outrageous. Caballero, again, a top top player, really good for me as a midfielder to you know play into him and he'd always keep it because he was so strong and he'd lay off the best passes. Nimzadze was technically very very gifted, like one of the most gifted footballers I played with. Loved a step over, got a man of the match every week for doing a step over. I just done his run in. Which was fine. That's all right. <laughs> I'd, I'd done that earlier on in my career. When I was breaking through Dundee, Chick Charlie. I played with Chick uh, Charlie. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a player he was. Like, wow. He was way better than I did. Than that, you know, people give him credit for. He was a sensational football player. Obviously, tempered with other stuff that went on. He was a bit of a nut, nutcase and that. And liked the night out of the weekend. But phenomenal football player. And, and me as a young boy... You know, breaking through and being able to just, you know, battle and get the ball back and give it to people. Like that it was just like, it was amazing to play with. Because I remember Kenija made his debut for Dundee at Pataudry. He came off the bench. Um, 
And I remember thinking going into that game, uh, this guy's going to be washed up and he's going to be like, and he came on and he, he, he could only be on the pitch for about 10 minutes or something. And he was ridiculous. <laughs> it was just like, fucking hell. <laughs> like, he scored as well. I think he rounded, uh, what's he, Peter Kier maybe? Or David Priest, one of these boys. And it was just like, oh shit, man, he's actually pretty good. Like, yeah, that's, that's, stuff. that's the only game I've ever been sent off my whole career. Eh? That's right. I completely forgot I about that. Off, got sent off. That's the only game, only time I got a red card in my whole career. What happened again? So what happened was it was nil nil. Yeah. Um, ball sort of broke in midfield, and I've like I've like flicked it away, but Phil McGuire's came through and absolutely <laughs> nailed me. Phil likes like, the tackle that was late to oh, be fair. Wow. It was so late. And then as I was like lying on the ground, I just like, sort of just it was like a petulant sort of flick of my like a foot, like a kick. And it, it looked bad. It looked like I just booted them like right in the balls. Eh? I'm just like, oh no. So um I got sent off and I was like, oh no, I'm gonna ruin Kenija's debut. He, he hadn't been I don't think he was even on at that point. No, I don't think so. Like, you're right, yeah. God. And then and then he, he came on, obviously scored, and then we won to nil actually. And yeah, I was just you know, really glad that we managed to get a result that day because I had a, I had a nightmare. <laughs> um, Giovanni De Stefano, <laughs> this 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 guy comes in to Dundee, takes over. Um, for our younger listeners who won't remember, this is a guy who came in, claimed to have re- claimed to have represented the likes of Saddam Hussein and Slobodan Milosevic and Harold Shipman in his legal career, which it turns out I don't think he actually was a lawyer anyway. Um. Another colourful character in the history of Scottish football. Did you have much in the way of dealings with De Stefano at all? No, not not so much. You know, obviously he was he was there and involved and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> sounds like this guy was a bit of a, a bit of a charlatan, to be honest. You know, there's there's definitely I don't think, I think you like to press more than actual substance and doing things. Um, but yeah, no, I never I never had much dealings with him. I never as a player, you don't really have too much dealings with the chairmans. Um, now and again, you do. When you do this, there's probably there's not an issue if a German there's not an issue. So yeah, it's quite good to stay away from them. Kind of financial difficulties at Dundee hit pretty quickly after this, um, and Rangers end up bringing you in for a quarter of a million quid, which is kind of pretty bargain tastic at that time. Um, now, Gavin, I'm sure you'll understand this is a Don's podcast, so we're not going to talk about nice. Rangers too much. Um, but we do probably have to touch on there's the Paul Le Guin season, and this is like such an interesting story, and I I would like to talk about it really quickly. So. Again, for our younger listeners who won't remember it, Paul Le Guin comes in from Leon, wasn't he? He was at um, the he 2006, was, yeah. 2007 yep. season, takes over from Alex McLeish. Um, Barry Ferguson had a few injuries in the early portion of that season. You end up getting the captaincy on a couple of occasions for Rangers at that point. But then things come, like Rangers are having a horrendous season. Things yeah, come to head, 1st of January 2007, Le Guin strips Ferguson of the captaincy, announces you're going to take the captaincy on. How did he tell you this is what he was going to do? And like, what's your reaction to this? Because this is just like mayhem at this moment in time. Oh, it was it was it was absolutely crazy to be honest. Um, so we we were just training at the training ground, and then I don't know if like if him and Fred had they'd obviously fallen out. There'd been like tension previously, but nothing, nothing major. If I'm honest, I'd never seen anything major. And then there was so this training. I don't know what happened on that training day, and then. Go back into the changing room. Fergie gets called through the manager's office. He comes back out and then just grabs the stuff and, and goes. And then his assistant, Eve, came and says, uh, Gav, manager, want to speak to him? I was like, oh, okay, no worries. And then went and he says, listen, Fergie's gone. Fergie's not captain anymore. You're the captain. I was like, 
Okay. Like, it was obviously incredible to, to be given that, but I wasn't even playing. Like, I was so, I wasn't, it was just basically on the bench, getting on now and again, not really playing that much. So you obviously didn't value me that much that I was, you know, playing every week. And yeah. normally you give, you give your captaincy who somebody's going to play every week. Of course. Whether he thought, obviously, moving forward, I would because he'd ousted Fergie. You know, that was obviously his 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 play on it. Um, but no, not not an enjoyable 48 hours or whatever it was or a week following that. It was terrible, yeah, terrible. Well, I was going to say, because it's like three days later, Le Guin resigns from Rangers. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. like... But- like yeah, <laughs> inverted commas <laughs> resigns. Like, but, but I mean, from your perspective, I mean, you must have been like, "What the fuck is going on here?" I mean, like, because it puts you in such a really awkward position. Terrible, terrible, like terrible. Like it was like because we had the game the next day at Motherwell, so obviously that news is going to break that Fergie's been gone, which is obviously huge for the Rangers fans and obviously the club. So he was, you know, uh, left out of the squad with Motherwell the next day, and I was going to be captain, and then. And quite rightly, fans would be asking, well, why, why the fuck is he captain? I, which I agree with 100%. But in the midst of that, I've got to prepare for a game as captain. Yeah. With, and I've not been playing. So basically, I'm going into a game against Motherwell under huge pressure um, to obviously play first because I hadn't been playing, but also with all the throw that was going on in the background. It was it was terrible. It was, it was ridiculous. And then, obviously, we get the win, 1-0. Boydie gets the goal. And then... He's gone like the day later or two days later, and it's and my biggest thing about Le Guin and the whole situation and what happened was when he did resign or he left, not not it didn't even reach out to, to me personally. See if he said like, "Listen, Gav, sorry about all that. I'm I've resigned. I'm moving on. Sorry to put you in the middle of that." I said, "You know what? No problem. I understand. I wish you all the best." Not a word. Like I've still not spoke a word to him since that day. Yeah. So for that, that sort of that rankles me just because I was like, you put me, you basically made me a pawn in this whole situation, and I've got to deal with all that pressure. And I'm just like, could just really do without that, to be honest. You know, I just wanted to get back and playing football. So um, that nah, was a terrible way it finished. Again, got on well enough with him. I was, you know, throughout my whole career, dedicating myself to my craft, really professional. I think he, you know, respected that. But I wasn't playing every week. You know, there's, yeah. there was better players than me playing. Who were who were really good players, and I wasn't getting a chance. So that, and that's fine. But yeah, just to put me in that situation, we didn't really need to. You know, it was it was a bit really disappointing in in my mind. But yeah, it's right. You move, you move on. You keep the captain's armband initially for a bit. <clears throat> Walter Smith comes back in. Uh, you replace his captain. He brings uh, Ferguson back in again. Your contract's up at the end of that season. So, I mean, for you, at that point, is it a pretty easy decision just thinking, you know what, like, I, it's probably just best for me to get out of here? Yeah. No, I'd been there for three and a half years, but two two full years were with injury. You yeah. know, um, done both my knees, got an ACL, and then had a really bad problem on my quadricep tendon in my right knee. So, basically, missed two calendar years um, doing with operations and rehab. Um, and... When Walter came in, I got on really well with Walter and, and Koisty and, and Kenny. It was brilliant. I, I loved the change. You know, it was phenomenal training. Great. Walter's obviously top manager, good aura, um, and just top guy. But, and they actually said, listen, you know, we'd be willing, willing to offer you another year if you're if you're open to it. But, like, I think, like you say, it was just one of them. I just need to get out of here. I need to get out. Not just rain, just Scotland. I'd mm-hmm. been in Scotland my whole career. You know, I'd played obviously nearly ten years, well, eight to ten years at Dundee, and then moved to Rangers. 
So I've been with Scott my whole career, so I was just like, you know what, let's let's see what else is out there. Um, and just decided to, you know, speak to my agent and just say, listen, let's 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 try something different. Um, and that's that's basically how it, how it all came about. You kind of touched on there. So you leave Rangers, you move to Cardiff City, who were then Championship. Um, your first season with the Bluebirds ends with an FA Cup final appearance at Wembley against Portsmouth. Just talk us through that sort of experience, walking out at the new Wembley. It would have been the new Wembley at that point, um, and an FA Cup final for a first division team as well. Yeah, no, it was amazing. You know, we'd um, we'd had a we'd had a decent run. You know, we'd, we'd beat Middlesbrough away, who were a Premier Premier team at that point. Beat Wolves at home. Um, we'd beat some, you know, some non-league teams before that. Hereford, Chase Town, but Barnsley had beat Liverpool and Chelsea, and then we beat and then we played them in the semi. So yeah. like the, the draw was really favourable to us. And then in the semi, so the semi was at Wembley as well. So you get to you know course, play yeah. Wembley the semi as well. So. Um, we we managed to win one 0 It's probably it's actually that's probably my best ever game in my career, like ever that semi. Um, so to get through that and know you're coming back to the final was obviously great, great for a club like Cardiff, but really exciting for all the players as well. Um, and then you also get the chance to walk out. You know, I've not, never been nervous for too many games in my career. That was one, just the, the magnitude of it. Huge game. The fans were in early. You know, ninety two thousand fans there. Obviously, everyone watches it. Um, so funnily enough one of the other games I was most nervous about was that Motherwell game for Rangers after getting the yeah. captain <laughs> and then in my Scotland debut so that's like the three, three games of my career I always remember um, but that game yeah not proper nervous but just amazing build up you get the you get the suits you know we didn't get like Hugo Boss or Armani <laughs> we got Mark and Spencer's but it was still an amazing suit I loved the suit not the cream one, not didn't go to Liverpool. Didn't go the cream, no, I didn't go full Liverpool on that. Um, but you know, we got a cool suit from Max Spencer. It was, it was we were all decked out. We'd done the, the cut final song. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. Yeah, it was class. Um, the game itself was pretty shit, to be honest. We didn't any team could have won it, but you know, they had a, if you look back at it, they had an amazing team. Oh, that even though the team's ridiculous, that team was outrageous when you look back at it. It was incredible. Um, but yeah, we had, we had a couple of chances, a couple of sort of half chances to go in front, and then our goalkeeper uh, doesn't do particularly well, and then Canu scores a winner. So, bit unfortunate, but hey, get the experience. Alongside you, at Cardiff is another ex-Don, Kev McNaughton. Um, yep. Talk to us about Kev for a little bit. Player and a guy. Yeah, no, I've known Kev for years. You know, obviously he was a he's Dundee boy at Aberdeen. I'm an Aberdeen boy at Dundee. He was sort of cross path loads of times on on nights out and playing against each other, obviously, and then go down to Cardiff and instantly hit it off with, obviously, Kev and all the other Scottish boys were brilliant. But, yeah, Kev particularly, he's a, he's a top, top guy. He was playing some some of his best football at that time, for sure. He was he was great. The Cardiff fans loved him. Um, but, yeah, no, top guy. Amazing guy. Amazing guy to be about. And, um, yeah, it was good to, good to have someone, you know, so familiar when I went down there and, and just to be able to hit it off when all, all the, that squad, the whole squad, Got on really well, so he was he was a big part of it. So you're staying in Wales at last until the summer of 2011, and um, when you leave, uh, and that's when there's the first initial chat about you potentially coming to Aberdeen. Uh, Craig Brown had come in to steady things after the um, let's call it disaster train of Mark McGee. Um, it's Craig's first summer window that 2011-12-1. You're linked with Aberdeen now. Craig had given you your Scotland debut in 2001. Yeah. We'll come back to Scotland later on. Were you tempted at that point to link up with him and? You ended up at Dundee, though. How did that kind of come around? Yeah, no. So I was I was ready to come at that point. Basically, um, spoke to I'd, I'd been training. So what, 
trying to think how this worked again. So I'd been training with Cardiff just to keep ticking over. So Malky McKay was his new manager at Cardiff. And I'd you know, asked him, you know, can I still train with the boys? I was like doing really well and just keeping fit. And then when the squad got bigger at Cardiff, he said, Oh, like, we've got too big, too many people here. So do you mind training with the young ones? And I was like, Yeah, I'm like, yeah, no worries. No, as long as I can keep training. So I was training with the young boys. And then I've been speaking to Craig Brown and he knows my new agent really well. And he was keen to get us in. So I was like, that's perfect. Like, if we can do this, then 100% I'm in. Let's do it. And then I was actually flying back to Scotland. Um, we were coming coming back home just to to visit family, up, actually up in Aberdeen for, I think, with, with a wedding or something on. So being in Cardiff, obviously Cardiff with the twins and, and my wife, and we're coming up to, to Aberdeen. And I was sitting at the airport at Cardiff and, and uh, the manager phoned me. So Craig Brown phones me. He says, listen, Travis is obviously... Hoping it was good news. It wasn't. It was bad news. It was, um, it, you know, he had a certain amount of budget. A couple of the players that, you know, he wasn't sure about were going to come or that. I've, I've decided to come and, and now the budget was gone. And I was like, oh, geez, okay. So then I had nothing. So basically I went up to Aberdeen, been, spent a week there, and then I was back down to Cardiff just keeping fit, looking at options. And then it got to like September, maybe September time. So the season's well underway. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and then Barry Smith was now the manager at Dundee. And he says, Gov, just like, just come up and like, just see how you go. Just sign short-term deal maybe and just see how you go and get back playing. And I'd obviously been playing for years and I'd miss it. start obviously really miss it on a Saturday, not playing. So um, I was like, you know what? Fuck it, let's do it. So signed. And then straight away, like, because I'd been training hard with the young, the young boys at, at Cardiff, straight into the team, and it was obviously, it was division below, so it was championship. So I was, and Dundee were like, we're second bottom at that point. Like done, the team weren't doing particularly well. And that's why Barry was so keen to get, you know, someone like myself, and a bit of experience, obviously knew the club, um, and just hit the ground running. And we just went on this amazing run. I don't we, I don't know if we lost a game when I was there, the 12 games I was there. I think we won every, not, didn't win every game, but we certainly won most of them um, with a good run in the Scottish Cup. I scored against Kilmarnock in the Scottish Cup. Yep. I'd scored four goals in the league. So scoring goals, um, playing well. And then it came in January and then um, Baz, so he was, he asked, so I'd signed, I'd actually signed an extension till the end of the season with Dundee by the gentleman's agreement with Barry that, you know, if a club comes in that I want to go to in the Premier League, obviously I wasn't getting any younger, so I can go for nothing. And then, um, Aberdeen came in at that point and that's, that's how it came about because I think at the time as well it was it, it seemed like it was a straight fight between Aberdeen and Hibs I think for you in that yeah, so I, I actually I went to uh, Hibs's training ground who was the manager at Hibs at that point I want to say it would have been like was it Fenlon Pat Fenlon correct yeah Pat Fenlon so basically what happened was he was they were first to show interest so basically I went to Hibs and um, went to training ground and then Driving back to Dundee um, from Hibs with my agent and Bruni called. So Bruni called my agent. He says, listen, what's happening with Gavin? Is he, is he available? Um, and my agent tells me, like, listen, that's Craig Brown. He's keen. I said, let's go there straight away. Let's just, you know, I'd been away from home for a long time. The opportunity to, to come back and play for my hometown club, you know, bring my family home to, to my hometown to see all my family as well it was just it was just an amazing opportunity and I was like yeah let's do it straight away so that, that's how it came about did Craig did he have to do any sort of persuasion to you or was it pretty much a straight kind of pretty easy decision no to make easy decision to make there was no no even 
persuasion needed at all. You know, um, it was just straight away, let's, let's do it. You know, I'd been close many times. Um, obviously, it's really close to summer before, but I'd been cl- closer even before that. There was a couple of times when I was at Dundee as a young kid and, you know, I think, I, I think it was Ebby would have been the manager. Ebby Scopes, I was like, it was interest, little bits here and there, but nothing really materialised. And then, you know, now here it is on a on a platter, basically. Like, there was no, there was no, no change in my mind for that for sure. Of course, it's Craig Brown, Archie Knox in charge. Um, just talk to us a wee bit about Craig and Archie. <laughs> amazing, yeah, amazing, amazing, uh, amazing couple of couple of guys, couple of coaches. You know, good guys to be around. Um, old school. In a way, but definitely embraced, embraced the new school, and um, you know, the managers like always surprised me with his memory of like players and just remembered everything. It was just like I don't know how he does it. And then Archie, obviously, in training ground, good, good coaching and and um, training, which I really enjoyed. But the whole thing for me was was getting to cha- getting to play for the club and and being home, you know. And it's a debut on the 19th of February 2012, a 0-0 draw at, St, at home at St Johnston. Um, that was terrible, terrible game. Every game against St Johnston is terrible. <laughs> um, True. True. You're never present for the remainder of the season, but I guess like you touched on it there, it's your hometown team, it's the team your dad supports, obviously, the team you grew up watching. How proud a moment was it for you to get to like pull in the red shirt and, and run out of Pretoria as an Aberdeen player? Uh, huge. You know, I never ever thought I would get to do it. You know, you, you long for it. I'd, been as as you know, like an Aberdeen fan from a kid, and seeing all these players and being around Scottish football and, and football for nearly twenty years before you get that opportunity. So, you know, to get that, to finally get that opportunity was was huge. Um, and it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was an amazing eighteen months in terms of like the club and where we were at and what we we're doing. But for me, that was it was huge to play for, the, for to get an opportunity to play for the club and and pull on the jersey and, and play at Bataji. You know, I'd played there. You know, from a primary school teams and, and cup finals, but actually playing the Premier League games and big games and with big crowds was was amazing. It was a huge op- huge huge honour and something really fun fun to look back on. You know, yeah, you kind of touched on it as well. Like that initial six months when you come in the January, you, you play every game in the league. Um, after you, you have to make a debut against the Johnston. The only games you miss out that season are the two cup games we play against Motherwell in the quarterfinals, and then against uh, Hibs in the semi final. You're cup tied. Baptized, yeah. How frustrating for you, especially that Hibs game, that Hibs semi-final is a, a shocker. Um, <laughs> how frustrating is that to watch, not being be able to be involved in it? Yeah, hugely frustrating. Um, it's kind of it's kind of strange because I done I done really well in the Scottish Cup, which sort of probably piqued a lot of clubs' interest in the Prem to get to yeah. get that move. Um, but then it sort of obviously it hampered me for for playing from from Aberdeen and, and Hamden and. I ended up doing the radio that day, and it was just like, oh, it was, it was so frustrating, you know, just being there and, and not being able to help the boys in the team. But I, I sort of knew, obviously knew that when I was coming in. But yeah, doubly frustrating that I wasn't able to to help the team at that time because we could easily, you know, turn that result around and got through. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a it's a really poor performance around us. I remember that day, and we kind of get uh, Rory Fallon scores a worldie to get back to one one, oh, yeah. and you kind of think yeah. there's only one team going to win the game here now, and it just kind of totally petered out. And I think it was uh, Lee Griffiths scored, didn't he, the winner? Or um, yeah, 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 at the end. That season, though, the Dons finished ninth. Um, going into that next season, there's, there's a real bit of turnaround the players. A lot of guys leaving and coming in. Mark Reynolds though signs a permanent deal. Now again, Johnny Hayes joined the club at, the, at that point as well. So there's some real enthusiasm that the team can kind of kick on I think um, season gets off to a good start as well there's a 1-0 defeat at Celtic on the opening day but then we're unbeaten right the way through to the 3rd of November which includes a 2-0 win 
after extra time at Morton in the League Cup. You get your first ever goal for Aberdeen. Uh, a nice header past Derek Gaston in the Morton goal. Can you remember much about that one? I remember the, remember the game. I remember it being a, obviously a sticky game. You know, it's, uh, it's, it can it happens. You know, in, in cup games it can happen. Um, I can I can't remember like can't remember who crossed. I can remember like the header. Um, I can remember just yeah, being obviously delighted to get my goal. But um, yeah, it was, I remember being a, a sticky sticky game, but just delighted to get through. Yeah, Scotty Vernon follows up soon afterwards to make it a two and a win. Makes it look a lot more comfortable than it actually was on the night, I think. But for yourself as well, you, you know, you had the reputation as a bit of a box-to-box midfielder, got your fair share of goals. Must have been nice just to get a goal and get up and running as well. Definitely. You know, definitely. It's it's kind of strange. Like, the longer, the more my career went on, I sort of, I started obviously as a proper box-to-box midfielder. You know, five or six goals every year. Chipping in, always chipping in with goals every year. And then sort of towards... My sort of career at Cardiff was definitely much more as a probably more of a midfield sort of set midfielder, like a number six, as they would probably call now. Yeah. Um, but then when I came back up to back up to Scotland, and then when I went to Dundee, I got four goals in twelve before I moved to Aberdeen. So I was getting goals again, which was great. And um, yeah, I always always obviously love getting forward and getting goals, but the the body gets the body gets older, and you you pick your Pick your, pick and choose your moments, and I didn't do it as much. But yeah, no, I'm delighted to get to get the goal and got a few for Aberdeen, but obviously could have done them a lot more, you know. And that opens the floodgates. A couple more goals follow shortly afterwards um, at Patodra. An early goal in a three-three draw against Motherwell. A week later, you get the winner in a two-one win against Hibs, um, which that one you convert after some nice work by Josh McGinnis. Now there's a character. Yeah, yeah. You must have a story or two about Josh for us. Yeah, I mean, obviously Josh was at Cardiff with me. Um, Course, so Josh yeah. was, yeah, you know, so I've known Josh for years. Yeah, so Josh was, <laughs> he was a striker at Cardiff when, when I first started, um, which just shows you like how well he's been on and done with his career. Incredible, like to become, you know, he's still scoring goals, uh, scoring goals for Northern Ireland, which yeah. is incredible. But fair play to him, you know, um, he was, um, you know, down at Cardiff as a sorry, as a goalkeeper at Cardiff, yeah, yeah, yeah. a striker, yeah, sorry. Um, and then he, he would train now and again with the first team and then all of a sudden you know we go sort of separate ways and then we end up at Aberdeen together and um, he's a great guy like a proper you know heart and soul addressing him top top bloke funny as like proper funny funny guy off, his, off the Richter scale but uh, <laughs> yeah nice no, obviously at that time at Aberdeen he was playing fucking he was playing right wing back he was right back and then he was you know all over the place and then he was a striker and then he sort of settled into being a striker, which was, which was great. And um, fair play to him, he went on and had a good career. You also partnered uh, Isaac Osborne quite a lot in the centre of the park mm-hmm. in that second season with Aberdeen. Now, Isaac was a guy who had so many injury problems. Um, yeah. But he could have been a real, real player, couldn't he, if you could have kept fit? He had everything totally. to play centre midfield. Yeah. No, totally. He was he was excellent when he first came. You know, I was like, wow, this, like, this guy can play. Like He's a top, top player. And great pickup from the scouting team and, and who, whoever brought him in, you know, is... He, uh, he quickly showed just how good a player he was. Like you say, sort of injuries hammered him and, and that kind of happens in, in your career. It's the worst part of football. But um, yeah, no, he, he, I don't know where he went after that. Beta. He was good at Aberdeen, really good. Yeah, his career just kind of really petered out after he left Aberdeen. I just don't think he ever really managed to get himself right, properly yeah. fit ever again. Um, yeah, real shame because I always thought there was a real player in there somewhere if he could just keep himself fit and, and get going. That season, that, that second season, it kind of peters out again a little bit. We end up finishing ninth Again, too many draws, the big the big issue. Um, 
a nil-nil draw against Motherwell on the 9th of March after that Craig Brown announces he's going to step down at the end of the season unless a successor can come in a bit sooner. Was that a bit of a surprise to the dressing room, that announcement, or was that something you guys had a bit of an inkling that he might be thinking it's time to hang up the manager's coat? Yeah, I don't know if it was a surprise. You know, the manager had been about for years, you know, and had been through many things. And, you know, I, I think it's, I don't know if it was like, obvious it was coming, but it's, I don't think it's one that you would be surprised at. You know, you can sort of understand his standing and where he was in, in his life. And obviously his coaching career had been coaching for years. So not so much of a surprise, but yeah, maybe just the timing. We just weren't expecting timing. But yes, yeah, it, was, it sort of made sense. And as is Derek McKinnis, Tony Docherty are the guys who are appointed. Um, they let Craig and Archie finish up the last two games, I think it is, of the regular season before they take over after the split. Uh, you play in every one of the games that Derek and Tony come in for. Your final match is a 1-1 draw against Hearts Pathology in the last day of the season. Before we get onto that game there, just had, like, had there been any kind of discussion between yourself, Derek, Tony, about wanting to keep you on? Um, no, not so much. So... I, I've known, I know Doc, I've known Doc for years. Uh, I know, obviously, Derek from playing against him um, and, you know, been around been around him, obviously, many times. Um, when they came in, you know, obviously, there's an assessment period where they look at players and then yeah. what they're going to do. Um, and, then it's, and then it's decision time. And, you know, I think I was really enjoying, I enjoyed the freshness. It was really good training where, you know, we starting to blood some youngsters, which is great. Obviously, I know I'm, I'm kicking on a bit. I've been about 34, 35 at this point. So I'm obviously one of the older ones. So yeah. you obviously think, you know, listen, I'd, I'd love to stay and then see this through, but you just don't know. Um, and then it comes decision time where he basically tells the ones he's wanting to keep and the ones he's, he's not going to keep with a really, you know, good discussion. He says, listen, I'm, it's tough. This one's tough for me, but I, I need to um, sort of put my own, you know, stamp on this dressing room and then the club and, um, you know, I think it's it's best if you move on. And I was like, I was out of contract anyway. So, yeah. you know, it was it wasn't like I was going to get any, it was, sorry, it wasn't the best you move on, but it wasn't, you know, we're not going to offer a new contract for next season, which is fine, you know, understandable. And I was obviously gutted, you know, it's my club. Um, I'd have loved to have seen the project through them. They 100% had the same sort of mindset in, in the things that needed to improve in the club. I'd went to the club previously about things that they can improve on, you know, whether it was in the kitchen you know, the setup, the professionalism, the the training ground, all that stuff. I'd already told the club, you know, my opinion because I'd been around about, yeah. the, you know, obviously for a long time and just for the club to try and improve. Um, and so we were definitely aligned on that vision and what they were trying to do. Um, but I wasn't to be part of it. And that's fine. You know, that's that's football. And I had a really good discussion with them and um, and, and seeing the season out. So, yeah, I would never, I've got no, no bug to bear with, with Derek or, or Doc at all. Yeah, and as is um, that last game against Hearts, they they take you off five minutes to go, get a standing ovation um, from the Don Sport Pathology. A bittersweet moment potentially, a special moment for you just to get that recognition. Um, yeah, no, obviously I was, and they made me captain that day, which was again really fun. I'd been you know captain a couple of times when Ross Ross, Ross Day was out, which I've kind of done at all the clubs I've been at. I was always sort of the standing captain when yeah. when there's people that was the vice captain, and if people weren't playing, I was always stand up, stood up, and done that job, which was great. But yeah, I got to be captain that last game. Um, terrible weather, I remember. It was a sh- not, wasn't a great game. But yeah, in terms of occasion, to captain the club and, and then obviously uh, see it out was, was amazing. It was amazing. All my family was there. Emotional time for them because they know, obviously, I'm not staying. Um, but I'd been around the traps. You know, I was, as I say, kicking on a bit in terms of my career and 
understand understood football and what, what it's like and um just be professional about it and yeah it was it was great recognition from them and uh, I appreciated them doing that but yeah no it was it was time to move on and that was fine Oh no, your time at Aberdeen ends with 53 appearances during your 18 months, uh, four goals. How do you reflect on your time at Aberdeen? Is this one of these things that, like, in retrospect, it would have been great for you to have done it earlier in your career, potentially? I'm sure, you know, you always look back with sort of things that could have done been better. Um, it wasn't a great time in terms of the club. Yeah. Personally, you know, personally, I was playing well enough. You know, it wasn't like I was struggling. I was playing personally well enough. Could it would have been a lot more enjoyable if the team was better and we'd been doing better and more successful, of course. Um, but definitely something, you know, I'll cherish every one of those appearances and, and the goals, especially, you know, and um, getting an opportunity to play for the club. So, yeah, I, I don't look back with too much regret on my career. And I certainly wouldn't look back at that time with regret. End up going back to Dundee for another season um, in a kind of player-coach kind of role. You play another 42 games, captain the team to the championship title, a return to the top flight the first time I'm asking for Dundee. Before then, retiring from the game at the end of that season, um, not a bad way to bow out, I imagine. Yeah, it was it was perfect actually. Um, it was strange because when I left on the yeah, sorry, when I left Aberdeen, you know, so I had a couple of opportunities, and you know, as I say, I was kicking on a bit, so it was like, what's next? The next, I think it was the next day. Like as soon as as soon as it got announced, I got a call from John Brown at, at Dundee. He says, "Come and meet me in Dundee." I says, well, I've got training tomorrow, but I can meet you sort of half. I think we met like on the services at Breakin or something. Something <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't um, Strakathro, but it was certainly it was down about somewhere around about there. Um, and then we, so we we caught up, had a had a cup of coffee, and he chatted about his plans. You know, meet the captain. You can also coach the reserve team, which was something that was really you know important to me at that point. Um, and but with the deal, I basically had if you if we get promoted back to the Premier League. Um, you get an automatic next year, same deal, an extra 12-month extension. But the way it turned out, played all the games, you know, body held up, played all the games, captain, captain the team, won it on the last day. I was just like, you know what, this this is enough. You know, I was 30, I'd have been 36 that year, 35 kicking on 36. Um, I was just like, it's, that's that's fine, I'm done. Um, it's probably the best decision. It's one of the best decisions I've ever made because mm. I've not been retired by somebody I've retired myself, you know, I've not been retired by injury, which I had a couple of bad years with. And I've not, I could have stayed again in the Premier League, might have been on the bench, might not have been playing that much. Obviously, Paul Hartley was the coach, the manager then. Um, and he obviously looked at it, put his own stamp in it and changed the change team about. So I was just thinking, just just accept, you know, what's what's happened and appreciate it and, and cut, just cut it there. And that's basically what I've done. So I retired the next day. Let's just quickly touch on your international career. Um, 14 caps for Scotland, a debut, like we touched on earlier on, by Craig Brown in a friendly match away in Poland in April 2001. Scott Booth, another ex-Don, obviously, with the goal for Scotland that night. When did Craig let you know that you were going to get a start? And like, how amazing a moment is that for you, for the family and everything? Ah, it's incredible. You know, you're talking maybe, you know, if we're talking YTS, like, what's that, six, six years before? Yeah, five, six years, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, Going from proper struggling at YTS to to that level was just phenomenal, you know, amazing, amazing experience. Um, I think he told us just on just on the day or the day before he told me that I was going to be playing. Um, there was a lot of young boys sort of blend blooded into the squad, you know, as he was trying to change the the dynamic of the squad. I actually, roomed with Scott Booth. Um, it was the worst room ever because. <laughs> 
lights were off at half eight. I was like, man, I'm normally up to like midnight watching TV or whatever. He's got lights off at half eight. And I was like, oh, God's sake. Um, but yeah, he gets to go. Um, but yeah, no, I'd, amazing experience. Obviously, over in Poland, never expected to be capped by when I, by the time I was 23. So yeah, amazing to, to get that honour. I first started Hamden in a 1-0 win over Lithuania. And then you also play in a 6-0 defeat in the Netherlands mm. in that Euro 2004 playoff game. Just give us some insight, Gavin. What's it like to play in a game like that where just nothing is going right? That's the worst. That's the worst. <laughs> um, I actually never played. So the first game we won, I didn't actually play. Yeah. I was actually uh, injured. So I'd pulled my hammy. Maybe I had a really a light hamstring strain. Um, so he never risked. I wasn't involved in that game. He was keeping for the Wednesday, hopefully, to be involved in that game if the hamstring pulled up all right. But then Christian Daly got the bookings. He got two bookings. It was the second booking that, so he couldn't play the the, the next game. Yeah. But then, he, then there was more pressure on me to like get involved because it was the same sort of position at that point. And then, so trained the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, felt fine. Obviously, come the game the Wednesday, huge game. Obviously, we we pissed them off on the Saturday because <laughs> they were absolutely going hell for leather on the Wednesday, and they were just to be fair on the night they were outrageous. They were outrageously good that night. We were we weren't great. Don't get me wrong, we were poor, but they were they were very good, and it just showed you just how you know many world class players they had, and got off to a shit start, and it was just like battling uphill from them. I pulled, I basically pulled my hamstring after about twenty five minutes, but we're three 0 down at that point. I was like, I can't come off now, so just sort of grind through it. I was up against Davids, Edgar Davids, who was just on the night was ridiculous again. So horrible experience and then coming off the pitch and getting told that Dundee was in the administration that night it was just like was it the same worst. night was it same night yeah same night by reporters after, oh, the, after the game bloody hell <laughs> yeah it was a tough tough one to take it nightmare nightmare listen after finishing up at Dundee you make the move to Australia which is where you've been since how's life treating you down under really good really good and really enjoying it you know um, <clears throat> my wife's Aussie it was always a plan to move after we retired um so we've been here eight years now already, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, no, it's good. I've been coaching since I got here in a part-time basis. So I've, I've basically work in, I work in technology now. I run a small uh, digital consultancy, um, but coaching part-time. But I've not been coaching this last year. The first year I've not coached because both my kids, both twins, boy and girl, are both playing football. And they're just too busy with them getting them out to to training and stuff. So I've not been coaching this last year. Um, but yeah, no, we can't complain. It's been it's a phenomenal place to live. Any thoughts about coming back to Scotland to look at the management coaching side of things? Are pretty content now? Um, I don't know. You never seen ever. I think if I'd stayed in Scotland straight after retiring, then I would have definitely have looked to try and get into that uh, coaching down the coaching route. I've obviously mm-hmm. got all my licenses, and I would have done that. Um, I sort of knew coming here that it was going to be difficult. I've been close to getting a couple of um, assistant roles in the A-League with a really good friend of mine who was going to be the head coach, but it, it, just, it never materialised. He didn't end up getting the gig. Um, and again, I wasn't sure like 100% I was up for it because you have to move move around Australia. Obviously, Australia is huge. So yeah. I wasn't sure if that was the right thing to do. You know, we, we sort of settled here. And again, the same same in the UK, like if I was going to come back and... and you know, you do well as a coach, you get poached to go somewhere else, you have to move. The same as if you do shit and you get sacked, you have to move to try and get another opportunity. I've done that as a player, lots of moving the family around, so I just wasn't sure if that was the right thing. 
never say never, but um, you know, I'm quite content as it is at the moment. Um, doing what I do and still being involved in football, obviously I'm watching football and, and still play football part-time with my mates. So always involved in it, but actually coaching route, I'm not sure. We'll see. Listen, Gav, we'll, we'll wrap things up here. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the ABZ Football Podcast. We'll finish up with the last question that we ask all of our guests. Final question. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Oof. Um, yeah, a lot, to be honest. It's, you know, as I said, going there since a kid, six years old when they won the the, the, European, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup and, and getting all the adulation from all the fans and obviously being lucky enough to get a day off Glassy Burn School to go and, to go and support them. And it was amazing. Um yeah, obviously still look at the results every week and obviously shit result the weekend, but uh hopefully Goody does well. I actually done my A license with Goody, so I'm wishing him all the best. He's he's done well to get there. So hopefully hopefully he can turn that turn the club around for the positive. And you know, it's a it's a huge club with massive potential, uh huge fan base, amazing support. Um but yeah, hopefully we can get some get some glory days back. Absolutely. Gavin, top man. Thank you again for taking the out. Join us on the episode football podcast. All the very best. Stand free. No problem. Thank you. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, or follow whatever you do on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 95, where we'll review the game versus Hearts. And I was going to say we'll have to scramble to fill some time uh, with something else because it's a week off due to the international break. But it sounds as though we might have an idea. We're going to open up the book and tell everyone all about us. Yeah, there we go. All about us. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.